right. Excellent. And today I think my mouse, my, my mic is working. So let's hope for that. Good day, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome to another exciting episode of, well, I hope it's exciting. Let me throw that disclaimer in there. <laughs> hope it's exciting episode of Merged Worlds. So uh, people who are saying you're late, no, you're good. I literally just fired it up. So we are fine. But hello and thank you all for coming by. Ooh. A lot of familiar faces here today. See, we got Bragg, Teresa, Jim and Smashley. Hello, hello. Xbox and Phantom. Hello. Oh, Evo's here as well. Hello. Well, I appreciate you all coming by for tonight's episode. Um, this is the third one in a row. So, again, just as a disclaimer, next weekend there will not be a Merged Worlds. Uh, that will be the members-only stream for those of you who have a uh, membership to the channel. So, Looking forward to having that cool night with you guys as well. Then we'll be back to Merge World for three more weeks after that uh, in a row. So, yay. Um, today we're switching channels a little bit, uh, which is nice. Uh, we've been following the adventure of Dandy and Artemis and friends for the last several weeks. Um, and the... Uh, we kind of got to the end of that section there. So now we're going to be switching back to Mercy and Darsh. I'm going to kind of recap a little bit what was going on with them since it's been a few weeks since we've seen them. Uh, and plus there's some folks here who may not have been here for that part. So uh, there are four main characters in Merged Worlds. And two of them are Artemis and Dandy. And that's who we've been following for the last little while. The other two is a human female warrior named Mercy, who is actually the leader of Serenity. And then there is Darsh Fohammer, who is a minotaur uh, ally, also a warrior. And uh, he kind of has ships and stuff, and he lives, uh, has his own islands and things uh, down in the southern seas. So that will be cool. Um, Darshtopia, is what I like to call it, became its name. It's not really Darshtopia. It has official names, but I will always call it Darshtopia. So, there was a battle at Serenity, a war against the kingdom of Oramon from the east, no, west, from the west. I always get that mixed up. From the west, uh, Serenity was victorious, um, thanks to the assistance of several mages that came from their allied kingdom of Paxiwal, led by Lamia of the Red, who is the head of the neutral-aligned mages of that tower and has helped them in the past. She advised them that their friend, her apprentice, well, was her apprentice, now he's not, uh, Tobias, now he has his own apprentice, uh, and a group of other mages had attempted to infiltrate Ormon and had gone missing. Uh, his squire, or his apprentice, I'm sorry, he'd managed to teleport him back, but had to stay himself. Uh, that's Edwin. So, Lamia basically said, okay, I need you guys to go in there and get them. Somehow they know whenever mages show up or anybody using magic, so I need you to go in there and get them, and I need you to not take any of your magical gear with you. Oh, excuse me. Because I think that they'll be able to find those. I have a spell I can cast on you that'll change what you look like and due to the nature of the spell. I believe it will not be sensed by them. You'll be immune to whatever it is they're using to try to that lets them see when magic's happening, but I can't disguise any of your magical items because they're too powerful to hide. So, Mercy and Darsh decided to go in on a kind of solo plan, plan. Um, due to the urging of Ulrich, Mercy's uh, right hand man, kind of the leader of her knights. 
did agree to take Quan, who is kind of the second after Ulrich, uh, who is of the warrior knights of mercy. Uh, he's their spy, infiltrator type kind of guy. That's what he's good at. Almost a rogue himself in abilities. Um, and so all three of them were magically transformed into warrior dudes to look like they belonged to the Ormon army and to infiltrate the city. They traveled for a while through the lands of Ormon without any issues. Had a little couple adventures of their own in there before they finally made it to the capital city. And once inside, they ended up hiding in the sewers because they were afraid they'd be found out because the long, more people that see them in their magic spell, the better chance someone might see through it. And Quan did some recon because he's the sneaky guy and found that there's a, there was a main temple in the center of the city. And if Tobias was anywhere, he would be hidden in there somewhere. So Darsh and Mercy decide to sneak in as clerics, and they actually mug and kill uh, two clerics of Pandora. Pandora is the oh my goodness, this is right. Pandora is the goddess of lies and deception, and the god that is revered by this country. Let alone just the priests in this main tower and the emperor. Uh, they snuck in hoping to find Tobias, and very soon ran into one of the most powerful clerics there, who thinking they were just regular clerics, said he needed some assistance to come with him. They did, because what are you going to do? Say no to the head cleric? They walk into a room, and there's the emperor, and it turns out the head cleric could see through their disguise perfectly fine and trapped them in there. The room was surrounded uh, by Oromanian elites, uh, which are pretty pretty tough guys to fight. They always work in pairs. Don't ever say anything. Hey, Teresa. I'm sorry, uh, Mystique. Blah. Teresa's already here. Hello, Mystique. I'm glad you didn't make it. Just doing a recap right now. Because we're switching back to uh, Darsh and Mercy's story today. Um, and then a spell was cast on them, and then they blacked out. And then we went over to the Artemis Dandy story for a long period of time. Artemis Dandy story, there's a lot of traveling. Uh, not counting the first part of Artemis and Dandy's story, which we'd done... Or there was six, eight months of that kind of thing. There's a lot of time went by with all their traveling. Um, Darsh and Mercy had made it to the uh, capital city. I want to say it took about five, six weeks tops to get there. They only spent a couple days there before they tried to get in because they knew their time was limited. And then they were caught. So we're going to begin today's story with a little bit of reading. Uh, again, this is the same thing that I read to the characters when we were playing the game. Uh, so I will be reading it to you in the same vein. So when I say you, understand, I mean I'm reading to the characters. And a lot of times I'll say you, and we're like, well, which character am I talking to? It could be technically both. They could be experiencing approximately the same thing. I'll specify if it's one or the other. Uh, well, i got to go sleep since i got to wake up early. Night trip. Well, good night, Xbox. Have yourself a good evening, and best of luck with the uh, school tomorrow. <laughs> okay, so here we go. I did not give this chapter a title, I just realized. Interesting. Pain unimaginable. You don't remember a time before the pain. It seems like your whole life has been this way. You lost your ability to scream long ago. And through it all, you hear the voices, whispers in your mind, asking questions, prodding, and poking your memories. They're searching for something, you think. But before you can really put your finger on it, everything is drowned out again by more pain. Suddenly, the pain starts to lessen. 
This has never happened before. Then the voices stop. You're starting to get scared. Are you dead? Is it finally over? Or is this some new kind of trick before something worse begins? Your body tenses as you again hear voices, which sends a new shock of pain through you. The tense hang up, not the voices. Slowly slowly you realize these voices aren't in your head, but you can actually hear them through your ears. (laughs) The strain is too much for your body to bear, and you feel yourself slipping into unconsciousness. And for the first time you can remember, you sleep. You are awoken again by voices nearby. You realize you're lying on some type of cold, hard slab. Your body feels numb and only slightly aches. It feels like your face and body are covered with something, and you are unable to see. The thing that's covering does not feel heavy. The voices are muffled, and you're unable to move. For a moment again, you panic. Is it true you're really dead? Slowly, you're able to turn your head slightly. Excited, you try, to, you, you try your arms. You're able to feel restraints around your wrists. Relieved to feel your body actually hurting at the strain, you, you relax. I'm not dead after all. After a few more moments, you feel yourself fall asleep again. Now this part, I specifically said Darsh. This is specifically for Darsh. Darsh, you awaken. Again, all the things I just read, Darsh experienced. This time he wakes up and he has more consciousness. He has more control. Even though he's really, really sore, the pain is comforting. He's not dead. He's trying to be careful. He doesn't hear any voices at this point. But he is cold. He's laying on something cold. So he tries to sit up and it hurts. Like he hasn't sat up in a long time. But again, being a warrior in that, takes solace in the pain. Manages to pull himself up into a sitting position. He has some type of metal wrapped around his neck. Clearly some type of uh, lock. Oh, nice shirt. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> and you can see that there are, another, there are more restraints attached to his legs with chains to the wall. And they are very heavy. At least for regular people. He's a very strong guy. He's also naked. None of his gear. None of the armor he was had. And he is in his... Minotaur form, the spell that had made him a human is no longer there. Checking himself and looking, he realizes that six, approximately 60% of his body, the hair is very short, like he had been shaved bald and it's been growing back for a little, little while. Um, and it appears like it's new growth. The skin beneath those areas, there are thin, almost hard to see scar lines and markings. He tries to stand up, but its he's very wobbly. He didn't realize it. Kind of like the thing where you've been drinking in a pool. You get out of the pool and realize how drunk you are. He gets up and he has to brace himself by holding on. There is a very, very heavy-looking wooden door to the stone room he's in. You can only assume it's some type of cell. It's a small window in the door, but there is no window other than that facing outside, so he doesn't know where he is. One second. Gotcha. Um, not knowing what else to do, he looks around, doesn't say anything. He looks through the little hole in the door, and what little he can see in the hallway is lit by torches. He sees another door across from him, same way, maybe a couple more down the side. He doesn't hear anything, so he calls out for mercy. 
that point, Mercy awakened. Hearing Darsh's voice, there's a little bit of concern in it, of course, caused her to pop up. And immediately regrets that she did, because, oh, pain. She, too, is laying there, naked, on the slab. Chains from her foot, attaching her to the wall. Not quite as big a chain, but chains nonetheless. Uh, both her and Darsh, there's like a thin sheet. A very sheer sheet uh, laying on the floor. She's able to pick it up, wrap it around herself a little bit. Darsh probably did the same thing, tied it off like a loincloth or whatever. Same exact situation in there. Don't see anything. Uh, she's able to get to the door. Now, Mercy's pretty short. I don't remember that. But she has to kind of step on her tippy toes just to look out. But she can see Darsh through the window across from her. So the two people talk back and forth a little bit. What do you see? What's going on? What do you remember? And they know who they are. They don't have amnesia or anything like that. Nothing crazy. But they don't remember much other than the last thing they remember was that room with the Emperor and then everything going black. They have glimpses of, like, there's memories in there. But the more they try to remember what it was, the more feeling of dread hits them. That's like, almost makes them not want to try. And they just kind of change the subject, because what else are you going to do? Um, but they're kind of just chilling there. And they uh, chat a little bit. They don't remember much. Um, yes. So after a, an hour or two, they chat for a little while, and then they take a break and sit down. Thank you, Ben, for the sub. I appreciate that. Thank you for coming by. Um, but yeah, so they, uh, they sit there, and they take a break and rest, looking around. Is there anything they can get to try to get the chains off? Darsh extra strong tries, but Darsh feels weaker than normal, which still makes him stronger than the average person. But uh, they both feel definitely weak and woozy, but the longer they're up, the, the better they feel. After a couple of hours, they finally hear footsteps coming down the hallway. Not knowing what else to do, they quickly lie back down on their slabs and cover themselves with a sheet, trying to look like they were sleeping. There's a knock on the door, and they hear a voice say, Come on now, get up. We know you're not sleeping. Darshan was like, eh, it was worth a try. So they both get up. Standing in the middle of the hallway between both rooms is a black-robed cleric of Pandora. And standing with them are six of the Ormanian elites. Again, always found in pairs of two. Very dangerous. The doors are unlocked. Um, and one of the elites in each room throws in like a little bundle of like sack-like clothing. And they're told to dress themselves. That they are to, they'll be leaving very shortly. And then they just stand there waiting for him to change. Darcy's is like, whatever. And Mercy's the same way. Mercy's not a shy person. She's like, I don't care. Throws her clothes on. And again, it's barely a, a sack with holes punched in it. Darsh's isn't even that. It's more like just a piece of cloth he can wrap around himself, kind of throw over his shoulder if he wants. It's not a lot of minotaur-sized clothing in this town. After a little while in their dress, they're told to follow him, but he's warned. He warns them that if they try to do anything funny, even slightly look like they're going to escape or try, the elites have been ordered by the emperor to just kill them. If you're going to be trouble, we're not going to bother with you. Behave, you get to live to see another day. So they're taking, they're uh, led out the hallway and up some stairs and it's a little windy stuff. And they step out 
a big set of doors into the sunlight. It's blinding to them. They haven't seen the sun in a while. But they're kind of pushed and prodded. And there's now there's some ever, some other guards there around a big wagon. And they're, it's covered and they're herded up into the wagon. It's closed up behind them. And then they, very soon they feel the wagon moving. It doesn't go real fast. If they try to look out through the thin cracks of the cloth, they can see that the elites are walking casually beside it. It's not going fast at all. Um, so there, they travel for a, a good little while, probably about 15, 20 minutes. It's a very big city. There's a lot of places to go in it. And they start hearing more and more noise of crowds looking through the thin cracks again as the cloth moves and parts between the different sheets. They can see larger groups of people around dressed in different colors and such. Um, and they can start hearing what almost sounds like barkers or people yelling uh, towards a crowd or two group of people. And that continues to get louder. Um, again, finally the wagon stops and they're herded back off. And in the very short distance between the wagon and a large tent that they're put into, they get a quick glance and they can see that there is someone up on the on a, a stage in front of the big tent they're going into talking out to a crowd of what appears to be a bunch of people. Um, and inside the tent, when they go inside, they see a bunch of other people dressed like them. All men, uh, humans, um, all looking very unhappy to be in that situation, and all dressed as shabbily as them, all clearly looking like slaves or poor people of some time. It doesn't take long for them to realize what's happening. As people are being slowly herded out of the room through the big entrance up front and hear the people yelling and hear in response to the crowds yelling numbers that they are clearly at a slave auction. And Darsh and Mercy are not happy about this. Why would they be? Number one, they're about, very likely about to be separated. Because, you know, that's how life works. And I'm a jerk. <laughs> but, you know, none of them wants to end up as a servant or working in the fields or something. They've got friends to save and things and so much. And Neither one of them can help but wonder about Quan and where he is. Although they have both purposefully and knowingly not mentioned his name or said anything about him in case someone's listening and they don't know he's out there. They do not want to give their friend up. As time moves on, more and more people are prod out the tent by the guards, or well-armed, by the way, and look like they know what they're doing. Although they do continuously look at Darsh a little bit nervously. Darsh's a big guy. Until finally, they're the last two in there. Let me grab it here. The guard tells them to stand up and go stand by the, en the entrance where everybody else has been feeding out. And they stand there, and now, being closer to that end of the tent, because they're sitting on the opposite end, they can clearly hear the barker yelling to the crowd. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special treat. Something never before seen on this stage. What could it be, you ask yourselves? Not it, I tell you, but they. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, not one, but two surprise auctions. Two never-before-seen items up for sale. Are you ready? You hear the crowd yelling approvingly. The guard pokes you and says, move it. They walk up the entrance, up a small ramp onto a wooden stage. Close to three or four hundred people stand before you, staring at you in wonder. 
Everyone seems to be staring at Darsh, mostly. Or staring at Mercy in confusion. So staring at Darsh in wonder, Mercy in confusion. Everyone is whispering and a buzz comes from the crowd. Two warriors we have for you today, unlike any who have graced this stage. First, a minotaur from the distant lands of Kronear, savage beasts with the strength of five men. Raised as gladiators, they live their lives battling in their arenas, an amazing item indeed. Next, also for the first time, a woman. I know what you're saying. What? A woman on this stage? Hailing from far to the eastern lands of Paxiwal comes this warrior queen. Don't let her luscious form deceive you. She's as deadly as any man you've seen. Maybe more. Why, it's rumored three of the emperor's finest died at her hands the first day she was taken. Mercy tries to think back to that. She's like, I don't remember that, but it sounds like me. And if that's not enough, she's the Minotaur's ally, fighting by his side. Why, any woman who can stand toe-to-toe with this kind of beast would be quite a spectacle, maybe in the arena. And everybody, ooh. You can see the look in the eyes of the audience and its hunger, and you've never before felt like such a piece of meat. Um, see here. Uh, all right. Now, says the auctioneer, let's start the bidding for the Minotaur at 1,000 gold. And the crowd erupts in bids. It's craziness. People will start yelling out numbers and things are going everywhere. And they've been to auctions before, even with livestock or uh, equipment and things. You know, in Paxiwal, there's a marketplace. There's auctions quite regularly, although slavery is not legal there. And as the they're watching this, it's literally people start to become fanatical. They notice a couple of things. Number one, there are no women in the audience. Again, if you remember, in this kingdom, women are not treated as equal. They're not treated, they're more of almost a, a owned good, if you will. And that the men are all dressed, you know, regular commons folks, the majority of them. But there are some that are wearing tabards with symbols on them in a specific color. And the colors seem to be standing together. Thinking back, they remember a little bit of what Quan told them when they first came here, that the kingdom or the, the, the empire if itself, uh, has its own group of nobles that live in different parts of the cities, and they're normally aligned by a specific color. So there's like Red House, so on and so forth. There's different districts based on that. Uh, the district they're in right now is Red District, and that is where all the gambling and the slavery and prostitute, all that type of stuff is handled here. This is the seedy side um, that the uh, Red House or Red Clan pretty much runs on this side. Um, most clans have a specific type of business or something they run under their area and all work towards the glory, of course, of the empire and the emperor and the clerics who run the whole thing get their shares of every house by their house's donations and such. So it's kind of giving you just an idea of how the politi- politics works here. So there is a, a ring of nobles, if you will, that are like a council that can help advise the emperor, but the emperor and the church make all decisions you know, for the empire as a whole. So it starts bidding very, very high. And in fact, it's very quite possible that females have been sold, but not on this stage. This is a stage where you're going to be selling people working in guards, bodyguards, whatever the case may be. Uh, Unfortunately, 
It's the first time they've ever had a female on this stage. But Mercy more than can handle herself, so it makes sense. Um, at one point, the bidding for Darsh has gotten up to 75,000 gold. Now, once it hit 50,000, there were only just a few people calling out numbers. And all of them were people of a specific colored house. The common folks stopped bidding a long time ago. But there's a couple of houses. Red. So even though this is Red District, there's... People in that district are their own businesses. There's people. Not everybody's that, that family, but that's their district, if you will. The, this type of business is here. Uh, it's one of the only businesses that's open. To, uh, it's one of the only sections of the city that's allowed to be open 24 hours. Um, so there's that. Um, and so as they're going into that, the number's getting up there. It got down to the last couple. There's Red House, right? And there's Blue House. And they're both kind of yelling back at each other. Darsh and uh, Mercy are just kind of standing there. They don't have anything else. They have no arms. They have no guards. Everybody's just kind of sitting there, kind of hanging out. Um, but, you know, things of that nature. And finally, a voice from out of nowhere pops out and said, I will bid 300,000 gold for the pair, yells a voice from the back of the crowd. Everybody goes silent. Super quiet. Even the auctioneer, whose mouth has literally dropped open. All eyes turn to the man and see that he's a young man. Probably in his mid to late 20s. He has several guards standing next to him as well. But they're all dressed in a purple. And there's, you haven't seen, they haven't seen very many purple at all in the crowd. Now the previous high bidder, 75000 was at... Uh, was actually someone from Black House. Or Blue House, I'm sorry. You can see that that person is seething in rage. We, uh, shudders the auctioneer, we have a bid of 300,000 gold for the pair. Are, is there anyone else who'd like to outbid that? And the crowd murmurs, but no hands raise. Because, uh, let's see here. Going once, going twice, and sold to Lord Valerian. The auctioneer turns to you as the crowd claps and starts chatting and so on and so forth. And says, uh, well, your new master just made me a fortune today. But he's also made an enemy out of several of the houses. And laughing, he walks away. The guards from in the tent come out, kind of pull you back down. And you're taken to a side where Lord Valerian and his guards kind of show up. They come around to, they make their payment which they do through some type of, you know, scroll marker system. The funds will be transferred later kind of thing. And uh, immediately Lord Valerian, well, he seems slightly soft-spoken. He seems like an overly friendly guy. He's also very businesslike when he talk, starts talking to them and explains that now you belong to me. I purchased you fairly and you are my property. Um, I have purchased you to add to my team in the arena where you will fight and hopefully help me make my money back. I don't have many fighters, but I felt it was time to add maybe a little something that would get me a little more sport. Let me explain how this works. I will have you taken to the arena. You will be housed in my area, and while you are there, you will fight. You will do as you are told, and you'll behave. Any attempt to escape, 
break any of the rules, you'll be punished or killed. The rules are quite strict. These are the rules of the arena, not just mine. So you'll adhere to them if you hope to live another day. But fight well, do as you are told, and you'll have an easy, well-rewarded life in the arena. Because with victory comes spoils. Valerian then leaves, and several of his guards kind of take over. You're still chained up, um, and the characters are. And they're still, again, kind of weak from... They don't know how long they were out or what was going on. Could have been a day, could have been a week, could have been a month. But they were out for a while, and they're weak. Some, I mean, even their muscles have slightly shrunk a little bit. You know what I mean? They're normally in pretty good shape, which has them worried. The guards, again, wheel them up onto a different wagon this time, the ones from Violet House, and then they're wheeled to the arena, which is a little bit of a distance away. Uh, it's in one specific section of the city that does not belong to a color. It's purely for the arena. Um, and the arena is constantly in action. Um, they're explained some of this by the people who are escorting them, kind of how it works. So, an Ormanian week is nine days. A lot of things are based on nine here. And certain days, the arena is, battles are held on certain days of that week. Um, third day, sixth day, and ninth day. Um, it's up to Valerian whether or not they'll fight in those days. He can enter them in, he can pay to have them fight or not fight. But on the ninth day, everyone fights. Because that's their holy day and that's the biggest night of the week. Uh, Valerian, though, does have some say in how you fight, because there can be different types of events and things going on, and he gets to have those. Do the days have names or just numbers? They just have numbers. Literally, they're called first day, fifth day. There's probably a name for that. It's not something that I've named, because it's just in this one kingdom. Uh, somebody, I should say, if you're listening to the audio, Elemental Dad had asked, do the days have numbers, names or numbers? Um, so, no, I did not have names for them specifically. I just refer to them as one or third, sixth, fifth, ninth day for the purpose of the story. But, you know, I might work something like that out. I did have a regular calendar for the regular characters, but I never made a specific one just for this land. Oh, it's cool. I love hearing your details. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, they're taken in where they are introduced to the warden. Uh, the warden is the head of the arena. He's what keeps it up and running. It's his job to make sure things are repaired, clean. He has people working for him. All the guards and such work under him. It's, again, it's like a prison, but it's called that. Um, and then each house has an area. And then there's an area for people who don't belong to a house. So say you're just a, a low-ranked noble and you're not one of the colored. You have your own fighter. You can pay space to have your fighter be in here. You may only have one fighter. And you want that person to try to make you some money, you know. Um, it's not always people who are purchased. Um, you can fight of your own choice. And those are called freebirds. It's the name for them. Uh, freebirds are a group of people that are people who wish to fight purely to earn wealth. Usually they're going to bet on themselves because it's a huge betting system. And they'll bet on themselves to try to earn wealth or rank or the favor of someone higher, try to get attention. Someone like that, again, you know, who comes in here and does really, really well would probably have an easy time getting a, cush a pretty high-paying job as a bodyguard or something of that nature. Um, but if, they just, if they're really good, competent fighters, they may just pay for themselves to be uh, put in so they can bid on themselves and hopefully win. 
And some people use it as a way to regain lost honor. But that's a whole other thing. So they're taken to uh, the violet section, where they're put in. In violet section, there are beds, but there's not rooms specifically. And same with the other areas. Everybody just kind of bunks together. But until this situation, it's always just been guys. Uh, so that's not been an issue before. Um, let me grab this here. And once inside, they meet... Let me grab his name. Hang on. I almost forgot it. One second. I, I made this mistake earlier. I didn't write it down and I had to dig it back up again. Because uh, I never wrote it down in the beginning. Back then I had it memorized. One second. There it is. Warwick. That's his name. Warwick. Apologize. Warwick lives here as well, but he doesn't live with the fighters. Warwick is the basically trainer hired by um, Lord Valerian to train his people. Maybe an ex-warrior, whatever the case is. Nobody really knows his story. But he's kind of a grizzled dude, probably in his late 40s or 50s. Uh, pretty good shape himself. He's a human dude. Um, and he's got markings on him of battles he's been in and such. Uh, nobody really asks. He never says that he was a previous... Uh, fighter, but that's always something that a fighter can shoot for. Get to the point where they can retire and then just take the cushy job of being a trainer and not actually have to fight themselves. Uh, so that's, again, something you can do to try to earn your freedom at some point. Um, but you're never truly free. You just hopefully can upgrade to a more cushy position as an owned piece of person. Um, so they're taking in there. Uh, Warwick is a little surprised. He's a Valerian hadn't, so straight up on, because Valerian didn't tell me we were getting anyone new, and it's been a while, and wow, new indeed. He kind of shakes his head a little bit, especially at Mercy, like, oh, I can't believe, what is up with this? There's never been a woman here before. And it looks at Darsh, and it's like, now you, you, we could do something with. You're, you're a big guy. He goes, he says, you know, there's empty bunks, there's, there's definitely more bunks than there are people. But they're introduced to the only other four fighters that are here, and that is Derek, Lomas, Jin, and Turk. These four are all humans at some point purchased. Uh, most of them are, again, in their 20s to 30s at this point. They're all pretty young. You don't live to be real old in the arena. And all of them have some type of scars or injury. Turk's missing a piece of an ear. You can tell that uh, was it Lomas's nose has been busted a couple of times. He's got that wow nose kind of thing going on. Uh, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, but there's only four other gladiators in this area, so there's multiple beds that are open, and Mercy and Darsh, you know, they kind of find a spot in a corner uh, where theirs are next to each other. Uh, because again, you know, they don't know this. The other, uh, the other people are like nodding and hello kind of thing, but they don't seem real happy to see Darsh and Mercy walk up in here. Because again, you can imagine, you know, he's got four guys who've been in here for a while, you know. Oh, hello, Black Beauty. Welcome. Um, and now you've got this big guy, and you've never hung out with a mentor before. You know, if that's a person, does he have an animal instincts? Is he going to gore you in the middle of the night? You, know, you don't know these things. So, you know, and the rest for the... Now there's a, an attractive lady in here. Is this a trap of some kind? What's going on? So there's that. But they're locked in. Um, they do get fed. Mm, but someone brings around food, and it's adequate food. It's not bad. Uh, Darsh uh, is a little unhappy with the quantity that he gets. It's not as much as he likes. And 
He's going to see what he can do about that. But overall, the food is, isn't bad. You know, again, they want their fighters to be healthy. So there's some fruit and vegetables and some meat on there. Um, probably not the best seasoned thing, but for health-wise, it's pretty good. Um, Darsh tries to strike up a bit of a conversation with the other one, uh, guys. And they, you know, they're kind of like, okay, they're very avoiding him. And they'll answer in short nods. And Darsh very quickly says, okay, these guys don't trust me either. And he's still tired from the whole ordeal. He's been walking around for the first time in however long. Um, and he can't really say how long has it been. Because he doesn't know what the date was in this kingdom when he got here. They could give him a date and he'd have no idea. Could have been again a week. Could have been a month. But Darcy Mercy finally getting in the corner, keeping an eye. Decide they're going to try to take turns sleeping. Um, it doesn't end up working out. Eventually they both just succumb to exhaustion. So the next day happens again. They're fed. And this time the breakfast is is definitely heartier. Um, and Darsh is even happy with the quantity. There's a lot of it. And the other uh, fighters are actually... They can overhear them commenting as, Wow, we haven't been fed like this in a while. And again, looking over at Darsh and Mercy, they're kind of like, Okay, that's probably because you guys. Thank you. You know, Kind of giving that look like of acknowledgement, but not much else. But... Uh, some new faces in here might have got them some better food. So uh, Darsh and Mercy definitely eat what they can, uh, as much as they can, of course, to try to regain their strengths. But at the same time, acknowledging, uh, you know, because the players are like, should we worry about poison? And I'm like, well, if we we're going to kill you, we'd have just killed you, you know. So they, th that was their logic. We're just going to eat it. If they're going to kill us, they could just kill us. They don't need to throw poison in there. Plus, the food came from all the same area, like to everybody, so they'd be killing everybody in there. We're assuming that's not wanting to be done right now. Um, and then, after they've eaten, had a little bit of time, the other guys are up, starting to do some stretches and stuff, and finally work shows up, and oh, the things opens, and uh, on the other side, there's a door that opens uh, to a hallway that leads out to the arena. This hallway goes from Violet Section to the arena, and that's it. There's no other branches. Once that door is opened, the only place they can go is to the arena. So it's not like there's hallways they could try to make a break for it or anything like that. Uh, the other side of the doors where they came in, where there are hallways and things. Work unlocks it from the other side. They go in and they're taken out. And it's a pretty good day, sunny, even a little bit on the warm side. Probably about a midsummer temperature. And uh, you can see that everybody's got weapons. They're practicing, they're sparring, and the different trainers are working with different people. Um, and Darce just kind of says, we fighting today? Because he wants to know, you know, what's going on here. And Warwick's like, nope, not today. He goes, uh, today is... Give me one second. First day. He goes, so there'll be two days before the next fights. There were fights basically yesterday, which makes some sense with all the excitement and things going on, gladiators and all. Uh, they're taken out there. There's racks of weapons. Uh, they're all weapon replicas, so they're all wooden. There's battle axes, there's swords, there's maces, morning stars, even flail. uh, flails will have chain connecting two pieces of wood, but there's nothing bladed per se, but there are wooden weapons of nearly any weapon you could think of. Um, and you can tell that the some of the guys go over and they, they grab things that they're used to, and sometimes somebody may grab something they're not, trying to learn something different. There's all sorts of different weapons there that are melee. There are no real ranged weapon there. I mean, you could throw a battle axe if you want to. Darsh could. But nothing that was designed to be a range. There's no bows, no crossbows, no... Uh, there's probably spears, I'd say that, because that's a melee kind of chuck, but nothing where you're going to you know, try to use it to escape, shoot guards kind of thing. Um, so... 
a couple of days go by where they're training, and it doesn't take long for Wart to realize these two know what they're doing. They have a bit better clothes now that were delivered. They're still not nice stuff, but at least they're a little bit more comfortable and they're able to fight and they get out there. And the other warriors in the group very quickly start to win over as they see Darsh and Mercy sparring together and they're just going at it almost like they're enemies. And they're like, whoa, you know, you guys hate each other, but they're not. They're just really, really skilled. And so then Warwick starts putting them against each other. And Darsh and Mercy start fighting against different uh, different other and easily starting to outdo them. But then they'll stop and be like, no, 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 before you do that, do that, and just start correcting what they're doing. And at first the guys are like, who are you to tell? And then they start realizing, well, this is really good. Over the first couple of days, Warwick is very pleased to see how good they are because, you know, it'll, it'll even come out from the guards. We don't win a lot, you know, or uh, from the other warriors. We don't, we, we, are, we do our own, but, you know, Warwick trains the best can, but none of us are super warriors here. Um, but Wark is like, you know, see, seeing dollar signs, he's like, I may be doing some bids myself come the next one. Now, they're told uh, over that couple of days that on third day, they will not be fighting. Larian has sent a message saying that he is not entering him in third day at this point. He still wants them to regain their strength and to practice a bit more. Uh, but they should prepare to fight on sixth day. Um... You see, you did that. Now, while they're each day as they're sparring, there are people up in the audience who are watching and such. Some may pay a ticket to come in and just watch the fighters practice. And some people are, you know, there for a business point of view. They're looking for new people that are brought in. How good are they? You know, is this someone who could be a, someone to bid on? And Warwick even mentions there's more people sitting in Violet section than normal. And they can see a lot of people up there that aren't dressed in Violet. They're definitely paying close attention to Darsh and Mercy because they've obviously, words gotten around that there's a Minotaur and a lady in here for the first time. And that could throw off a lot of things. So they practice all the way up. The third day they get to watch. And the fights are pretty much what you'd expect. The crowd is about average size. I'd say it's about a third full. Third day and sixth day don't usually have a packed house. Ninth day they do because that's always a holiday. Third and sixth day, people still got to work. And so if there's people up in the crowds, work may comment there's a little bit more in their section than normal. Uh, and they seem very unhappy that Darsh and Mercy are not fighting. But Darsh and Mercy are sitting there watching the other fighters and even throwing some pointers at them occasionally. Um, and the four guys fight. Two of them win, two of them lose. Um, none of them were seriously injured. One got a maybe like a busted finger or something like that bloody nose, but nothing horrendous. There were no to-the-death fights or anything. They're using the same type of wooden weapons, and people make some coin, and overall, sitting there for several hours watching it all, Darsh and Mercy can see some of the people that are pretty talented as well. There's some skilled people out there, and that's things that they're taking close look at. But while they're doing that, they're also checking out the arena. How many exits? How many fighters are here? How many guards can we see? Where is who and who is where? We need to... Because from day one... Without saying it, they both know we've got to find a way to get out of here. They're not idiots. They've got to do what they're doing right now, but they're looking for their opportunity. So, we get the sixth day. They train for several more days. It's going well. Sixth day comes on, and they're told that today you will be fighting. Um, looks like Valerian showed up himself and comes down to talk to the fighters. Uh, which the fighters are like, he doesn't come down here often either. But he's like, hey, he's like, ah, I've heard good things 
from you, Darshan Mercy. I've heard good because he knows their names. I'm assuming he found out somehow. You're going to buy, put that much money into it. You're going to find out about their history. Heard good things that you've been doing well, training hard, and not causing any trouble. Excellent. I'm glad that you took my words as uh, uh, as what they were, as something positive. You're, you're following along because again. I see a future for you here. I've got a lot of faith in you guys. I think we're going to make a lot of money, mostly for me. But you'll be treated well if you're successful. You know, he's, he's got a little, he's not, again, not a jerk. We a little bit on the snobby side. You can tell he's got a little that, that rich air of, yes, and you'll work for me kind of thing. Um, let me grab it here. So, in this situation, he's arrived. And... <laughs> but he, uh, when he has arrived, he does have some packages that are given to everybody. When they open them up, they're actually good, relatively good clothing. Not like armor per se, but some leather clothing such that would actually give a little bit of protection. A um, little bit. And it's not like big old shirts and stuff, but it's mostly just like belts and pants and maybe some better shoes. Okay? Um, and But nothing real fancy. But the things they get do have little symbols on them that are show Violet House, because they always do. But it's a better shoes, better belts, that kind of stuff. The shirts and stuff are still kind of raggedy. Uh, no hats. Nobody wears hats in the arena, I'm just saying. It's not a hat place. Take your hat off before you come inside. That's rude. Um, let's see here. So as they're sitting there kind of hanging out, um, Derek which is one of the things, actually starts kind of giving, they're let out and they're kind of sit down and everybody, now there's a bigger crowd for sure. Six days, a little bit better. Word's gotten around that they're going to fight. There's a few more people here than normal. Um, and Derek, one of the other guys, is talking to them. He's actually striking up a conversation, kind of explaining what's going on. He's like, that uh, the way it's going to work today, because there's different events and different types of combat, different things that can happen on different days, and it's usually chosen by... Um, the guy who, the warden, he'll set that up ahead of time and let, okay, here's what's going to go out. And then he says that out a couple of days ahead of time, gets people to go in and make their bets and so on and so forth. It won't be real ahead of time because he doesn't want people specifically training for that, but something like that. Uh, Valerian is up in his booth, which is behind them. And when they look up there, he kind of smiles down, gives them a little thumbs up, like, make me some money. Um, but Derek explains that today will be group battles. So what's going to happen is there's going to be a group of six people because they're Normally, there are five houses, not counting the temple, which a lot of times they have their own fighters. A lot of times they don't fight except for on ninth day, right? They're some of the better ones. You can imagine the emperor's fighters himself. They, they live very cushy, um, which is kind of odd to Darshan Mercy that they weren't taken to those because clearly they're more, a little bit more trained than some of the people around them, but they weren't put in with the... With the rest of the, the temple's fighters, they were sold, which is something that they, they chatted about and, and made it a point of, of notice. Uh, Black Beauty, I'm Arabic and I can't understand anything. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm very sorry about that, but I do appreciate that you came by, <laughs> that you're hanging out with us and trying. <laughs> um, so the way it's going to be, it's going to be rounds of six people. Sometimes a free bird will be in there as well, though none have entered today. Um, and... In each battle, there can be no more than one person per team. Um, and then at the end of the day, there's going to be a large free-for-all of anyone who's not dead, and it's last team standing. Um, so this kind of will people down, so there's only some people who can do it. So in the... Uh, it's not to the death by any means, but they, it is explained, you know, that still sometimes happens. You know, but 
It's not required by any means. And they jump in and they basically uh, say, Mercy's going to go in first. She's actually in the very first round with five other people. Um, so Mercy gets in there and she chooses a decent wooden shield and she finds a sturdy, thick morning star, which is her weapon of choice, as we all know. She also can use a sword very well, but prefers that. And with this being a, a fight where blade is not going to help you that much anyways, the wooden blades will still cut, like... You know, they're not sharp, but, you know, you still get hit with a hard wooden blade. It could still break some skin, but the blunt weapon is definitely going to work in her favor anyways, even though it doesn't have spikes on it as much as bumps, which some morning stars have bumps instead of spikes anyways. Hers doesn't. Her good one has spikes, but that's back at the house. The fight, it goes kind of as you expect. Immediately, everybody just kind of dissuades Mercy. Some of the fighters have seen her practicing a little bit, but... There's that bias of, oh, it's a lady, it's not a problem. And uh, one of the guys, as the other ones start to shape up, one guy just comes walking over like it's, I'll just take her out real quick and we'll move forward. Um, it doesn't take but 30 seconds before he's unconscious on the ground with some blood coming out of his nose. Uh, Mercy just quickly parries, shield bashes him in the face, and while he's stumbling back, she's like, pop right on the head. And he hits the ground. And that gets the attention of the other fighters, who kind of stop for a second. And Mercy's like, I'm not going to be here all day. And she just wades in. And uh, the fighting goes on. Of course, it's everybody versus everybody. But after a minute, people start dropping. Comes down to Mercy versus two. And then Mercy wins, which was to be expected. She overwhelmingly outclassed the other fighters in this group. They were, they had some, you know, probably bit of training. But they were nothing trained like Mercy has. Um, against five other people of, you know, much better training, it wouldn't have gone that smooth. But it's obvious that she outmatched these people. But the crowd's loving it. They're oh, wow. Because these guys are going to have a hard time living that down, right? In this place, in this type of society, all five of you guys just got taken out by the first lady to ever fight in here. You can understand how that's going to be an issue in that type of society. Uh, yeah, the tables have turned. That's correct. And hello, Just Billy. And hello, Firo Gaming. Good day. Uh, a couple more fights go by. Some of the other fighters go in. Uh, and then finally, the second to last match, Darsh is in. And Darsh again is going in against five people. That's the size of the group. Sometimes it'll be for six people versus seven, just depending on how the groups measure out. But he's also against five people. Um, in this situation, a little bit different than the first one. All of them see Darsh. And Darsh can tell very quickly that they're the way they're looking at each other that it's about to be Darsh on five. Which, to be honest, right now he's not in a good mood. He's okay with that. It's the first time he's got to really swing a weapon in a while. And Darsh uh, also chose a shield, but he chose a two-handed sword, a big one, that he's using as a one-handed sword. Because there's not really minotaur-sized weapons in there. Uh, same situation. The five come in on him at once, and his, again, drastically outclasses them. And it's very easy early on for Darsh and Mercy to see, okay, the people that are thrown out here today, a lot of them are the newer ones that may have just been added to a team in the past couple of weeks. People that aren't that successful, they're keeping their big guns back for the bigger days. They're throwing some people out to test the water in their new people. And Darsh just mows them down. You know, at some point they literally get some good hits in and he just shrugs them off because they're just not expecting him to have that durability. Um, but he's not going for a kill by any means. He understands these people are in a situation they've got to do what they've got to do either. Uh, so while he knocks most of them out or just you know, knocks them to the ground where they can barely move, he's not trying to go to do any serious damage or kill anyone. So that's why it takes a little bit longer than normal. But uh, 
the characters actually did fight these out. Um, and that was the actions they said they wanted to I want to hurt, I want to win, but I don't want to kill. And so that, of course, adds difficulty to their roles because now they're literally trying to do what we call pulling a punch. And if you're pulling a punch, that's a little bit more challenging to do. Um, because the other person may not accept that. And the way they react, you end up hitting them harder than they thought. So pulling a punch is something that we do have. I don't know if that's in 5th edition or not. It's not really in 2nd edition what I play, but um, it's something that we've worked into the game. Pulling a punch has its own mechanics for the way that we play D&D. But Darsh also wins. Um, now, unfortunately for Darsh, uh, his was the second last fight. So the last fight... See Midnight in the background? Oh yeah, he's sitting on this little chair over here. Uh, my wife pulled a chair over to sit here the other day. and He's been enjoying... Yes, buddy, I know. He's been enjoying the cushion on there. So he likes to sit on the chair behind me. Yes, big old stretchy mouth. Thank you very much. Big old yawn. <laughs> but, uh, yes. So Darsh has to go right back in now in a 40-man free-for-all. Or 39-man, one-lady free-for-all. And it's last, last team standing. So they don't have to fight their own team. Their team is in there. It only benefits... So the other team are all like, well... We just saw Dersh and Mercy take them out, and they were a bit more successful. One of their teams, um, one of their members, which was Lomas, was injured in his fight enough that he can't fight in this one. Um, so he's out. It's just the other three. Uh, Turtle has a question. So, Draven, why was your old user Minecraft username Omniana? I'm kind of curious. Uh, it was Omniana because when I first started playing Minecraft, my first goal was to build Serenity. Right? I wanted to build Serenity and then be able to show my friends the city that we've been D&Ding in for a long time and give them a rough approximate physical thing with key points. Like I built the temple, I built the castle, I built a lot of stuff. But I put my name as Omniana because... It's the god that creates the world, Omniana being the primary god that's controlled their story since the beginning. I thought it kind of funny. Uh, so I had that one specifically for that one. Firo, hey Draven, are you a Harry Potter fan? Not really. Uh, I think I saw the first four movies. Uh, and just, they never really grabbed me. Not against them, I'm saying they're bad. They just, they're, eh. So no, I never really get, my mom was really big into Harry Potter. And my sister, they really like that. Um, I went a little bit more Lord of the Rings, uh, but even then, my wife's a bigger fan of that than I am as well. Uh, but not not a, not a huge Harry Potter fan. I've never, like I said, I've never seen the last was it four movies? There's eight total, and now there's other movies that's like prequels. I haven't seen any of that stuff. So. Of course, I don't watch a lot of movies that aren't Marvel at this point, anyways. But thank you for the question. Um, yes. Here we go. So the forty man fight. Uh, it's them and three of their house. And the houses start jumping in there. And again, same situation because of Darsh and how well Mercy did. Very quickly, some of the other houses are clearly not fighting each other to come at Violet House. Um, but Darsh specifically starts yelling out kind of commands and some of the things he, they, they talked about with the uh, other Violet House fighters earlier and starts kind of giving them you know, strategy. Do this, stand here, back to back, yada, yada. Um, and even though they take some injuries, Darsh himself took several hits to defend one of the other fighters, uh, they successfully won. And at the end of the fight, uh, it was really just Darsh, Mercy, and Garrick standing. Derek is by far uh, the most skilled fighter of the four other warriors that are on Violet House's team. Um, but they managed to take pretty much everyone out. Uh, the other guys that fell are hurt. 
injured or knocked out, but none of them are dead. Maybe one's got like a busted foot or something like that. Nothing real bad. Oh, Mr. Midnight decided to leave. <laughs> See his chair spinning around. There you go, buddy. Um, but yes, so uh, overall it went well, and the audience loved it. Seeing Darsh and Mercy whoop an ass was... Really cool, because you don't see that. They've never seen that in the arena before. So there's a lot of that. And a lot of people have thrown more bid, uh, bids and bets than normal. So um, there was quite a bit of that as well. People, some people made some serious bank today, and some people lost some serious bank. Mm, that's how the game's played, right? That's going to be some people who aren't big fans of Darshan Mercy because of that. Maybe they were betting on their favorite house and things of that nature, because that can happen. People are they're of a specific house, or maybe they just big fans of that house, so they bid on that one specifically, because that one always wins, and today they did not. Because as they learned, Violet doesn't win that often, sometimes a match here and there. Hello, Midnight. No, you can't step on my book, buddy. I gotta read it. He did that earlier today. You can't put your butt on my book. I gotta read it. You stay right over here. Sit on your side. Um... So, yes, yes. So, it goes well. Everything is, uh, pretty groovy. And... They uh, go back to their cells when it's done. It takes several hours for all this to go through. There's spaces in between where they, people are taken off. There are some clerics there that will look at the seriously injured. In uh, one of the fights, one guy was wheeled out. Um, not dead, but doesn't look very promising. Uh, wasn't one of their guys, though. It was one of the other teams. It wasn't in a fight that Darsh and Mercy were in. Um, excellent. So once they get back into their rooms... Uh, they're soon visited by Lord Valerian, who is just a big smiles on his face. And Derek had already said this is the first time Violet has won a group fight like this in years. Because again, most of, most of the other groups have much more people, at least 10 to 15 people in their shed, if you will. And, and they've had just, there was far five or six of them. Sometimes they get, die, sometimes they're not. There's only been four of them for a while. Um, and they very rarely see Valerian. They've seen more Valerian since Darcy Mercy showed up than they've seen him in the last year or so. Though they have mentioned that he, that he always makes sure they have food, blankets when it's cold, that kind of stuff. They're never treated poorly. Um, but, you know, they're there. Can you ever be treated well when you're owned? I don't think it's possible. Um, but yes, uh, that went well. Now, Valerian, very happy, excited. He's literally, he's like, he goes, I was right you were an investment. And while I'm still in the hole, I made a lot of money on you guys today. I felt I was going to go ahead. I'd heard good things from work. I bet a lot on you. And, ooh, did you guys do well. I have to tell you, much better than even I expected. <laughs> I got you at a steal. I'm not going to lie. I made some good money. Now, you guys did well. So because of that, I've got some, a special dinner coming. going to bring some wine in here. This is a celebration. I think this is the beginning of a wonderful partnership of you and me and me making a whole lot of money off of you. So, yes, foods and drinks, all of this will be coming. Um, but yes, yes, yes. So there's that. And what else? Uh, yeah, so there's so on and so forth. Um, Later that night, meal arrives, hot meal, and everyone's joy at this point. They everybody's back up and conscious, even though some people got some bandages and such. Dude got a busted finger, um, but the wine, yes, the wine. Because like, this is the first time we've had wine in a year. Last time, you know, it's a holiday way back where everybody gets wine. But yes, he goes. We haven't had wine in a year. This is phenomenal. And at this point, everybody's accepted Darsh and Mercy. They're like, not only did you win, you helped us win. You helped us survive in a big fight. And on top of all that, man, we are getting better rewarded since you walked in the door than we ever have. 
<laughs> Give me apple juice. <laughs> nope, not for these guys. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, Darcy and Mercy at this point are uh, well, well regarded by the other members of Violet House. On the other hand, the other houses not so happy with them because now the other houses are like, okay, well, this is something then we're going to have to put stronger people against them, which is risking some of our better fighters against some trained people. So a lot of strategy involved in there. Um, the next day, which is seventh day, they wake up and they go out and they're practicing, which is nice. They go and do their thing, so on and so forth. Um, when they return, Mercy's pleasantly surprised that someone has been in there and hung some type of cloth or curtain-like thing around her bed to give her some privacy. Uh, Warwick looks at it, shakes his head, he goes, Valerian sent it. I do what I'm told. So she has her own little private space in the corner now. Darcy's bed's next to her. The guys are all see each other. But she has her own little private space now. Valerian has provided her. Again, to the victor go the spoils. Um, so, again... That day's pretty good. Everything's going fine. Now, at this point, they're told that Valerian has given the okay for them to go to the common area. There is a common area where fighters can hang out through the day, chat, you know, different fights. It is, it's one of those things where, imagine like a prison common area where people can go and hang out. Uh, much like a prison area, sometimes a fight breaks out. But fighters know that if a fight breaks out here... It comes down, literally, it comes down as a punishment on their owner. And then the owner bring bring the punishment down on them, which could be permanent, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, you don't you don't mess around in there. So grudges are grudges are taken care of in the ring. You may have an argument, you may pick a fight, but most fighters, even those hot-headed, know you do not fight in the common area. But at this point, they're given the the other ones, they go in there all the time, but they haven't been able to go in there since Darcy and Mercy showed up. They're like, oh, cool, we can go back out there. Because in there, they think people are playing bones or cards or dice or whatever the case may be. And uh, Valerian always sees that his fighters get a little bit of coin, you know, something to gamble, something to do, you know, buy contraband, get a thing of wine from somebody else who happened to have some that their their master gave to them kind of thing. Um, so even Darcy and Mercy at this point have been given a, a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of coins, which again, not very much, but in here, a lot, you know. Um, so they're allowed to go to the common area. And not many of the other people pay a lot of attention. I mean, they obviously notice them, but don't try to stuck up conversations with Darsh and Mercy. And Darsh and Mercy hanging out there, which is where they hang out most of the day after the uh, fighters. Where are they? Sorry, I missed a lot of the beginning. Uh, they were purchased and are now uh, belong to Violet House and fighting in a gladiatorial arena. So they're owned by Violet House. They live in the arena. And uh, they still don't know what happened to Quan. No word from Quan. None of that kind of thing. Uh, so they don't know what's going on with that. But again, they're very careful not to talk about him. Because they don't know if anybody else knows. And they don't know if there's any spies in here. So they've been very careful about that. How were they purchased? They were sold in a... Uh, they were taken to an auction. In the auction slave area of Ormond. All that happened at the beginning of this video. They were, they were, they were captured at the end of their video. The Emperor had found them. Well, they were taken in there thinking they were disguised, and the Emperor's like, you really thought your disguise would be good for me? And then they all kind of conked out. And then they all they remembered was pain and bad stuff, but then they woke up, they had no idea how long that was, and there's scars on their body, and Darsh has lots of area where the hair's just now growing back, where he's clearly been hurt or cut into or something like that. So that kind of stuff. Um, 
Yeah. So they start hanging out in the common area. And there's a few things that they learn. Because again, I'm prepared for this. I know I know my players pretty well. So they start asking questions. Well, who's all in here? What's going on? Yada, yada. And um, what do we see? Are there a lot of guards? And there are not. There's really only one guard in there keeping an eye on. Again, fights don't pop up here. It is a harsh, harsh punishment. Uh, so it's really just one guard who walks around and keeps on it. And his name is Willem, and he's kind of quiet. He's a little bigger guy, but he kind of looks like a... Like he's just not super smart. But he just kind of walks around and talks to people occasionally and hear him laughing with different people and tell a joke or whatever. But he seems like an okay guy, but he stays away from Darshan Mercy. Um, there is a... Let's see here. There's a real big dude named Brote, a very chubby dude, and he's the guy that basically cooks the, the foods and has the food delivered. He has a, several underlings under him. Uh, sometimes he'll be paid well by someone's master to prepare something special for them, like the meal they had last night. Uh, so, again, last night he got paid extra for making that. So he's in a good mood today because he got a lot of money for cooking an extra meal that he normally didn't have to do. Um, because... Part of the money to pay for that also goes to the arena. You know, so when Valerian says, hey, I'm paying you 50 coins to make a big meal for my whole team, he gets half of that in the arena. He's still getting extra money for that. Well, he would only get in the arena. It's like, we're okay with that because we get a share. Anything coming in, they get a share or a tax on. And plus, they also do their own betting and such and make their own money. And they're also uh, funded by the, by the kingdom or the emperor empire itself. And then the last one is a guy named Perrin. And Perrin's an older guy. Uh, I do not have figures for any of these people, any uh, uh, pictures, so I apologize. Perrin is an older guy, thin, uh, bald. He's probably in his mid to late 50s. Um, he's very quiet, doesn't talk to you. Everybody kind of just leaves him alone, nods at him or thanks him or whatever. He goes around and empties out trash cans and buckets and such. And he's in and out of the place a lot, but he just kind of sticks to himself. Um, once in a while, he'll have other people working with him. If it's a, you know, like a big thing or cleaning this, cleaning that. But most of the time, it's just him or him directing younger people. So he's kind of like the head janitor? I don't know, head servant? I'm not sure what you'd call that. Um, also, they learn that hanging out here in the common area are three freebirds that currently frequent inside the arena. Uh, my phone is at 0.04%. Oh, good lord. <laughs> That's never good. I keep my, I have a charging cable set up next to me at all times, specifically for Jackbox nights, so I don't run into power. Um, but, uh, what was it? oh yeah, three Freebirds. Uh, one of them is known as Kurgan the Grey, one is known as Sarek Windrell, and one is known as Jassel the Snake. You know, because they give themselves these names, you know, because they want to sound cool in the arena. And they're the type of people that go in there, and they, you could tell that they know what they're doing. They've got the, when they're moving, the backs to the wall, keeping out. Darshan Mercy is like, okay, these people clearly have some experience if they're throwing themselves in here. And they have the freedom to go and come as they want. But while they come in for the day, they stay in for the whole day. They can't just, I, mean, I should rephrase that. They say, I want to come in and practice and such. 
Sometimes they can pay to work with a specific team, or there may be generic trainers they can work with, or maybe they just want to practice on their own. They can come in the day and say, I want to do that, pay a couple coins. They get in for the day. They get to leave at the end of the night. Um, that coin also gets them a meal as well, and they can hang out there and talk to the other fighters, sizing them up or making allies and such that may benefit them in fights down the road. Because the Freebirds themselves, not being aligned to a team, are always alone unless they team up together, which they're told doesn't happen very often. They're very different fighters, and the three Freebirds do not like each other. No one says there's any real history except for in the arena, but they stay apart. There is no conversation between those three people. So again, they have some free coins and they get to hang out. And Darshan Mercy, um, kind of hanging out in there. And this was a chance for them to start talking to people, find information. The beginning part, they didn't have a lot. They, it was mostly combat and asking questions of what was going on. What do I see? What am I hearing? What, are, do, how many guards? The stuff I talked about earlier. They didn't really have a lot else they could do other than ask questions to assess the situation they're in. Now they had a chance to free play a little bit. They could go around, and, and the questions I answered, the stuff I just gave you, that information, are questions they asked. Well, who's all in here? How many fighters? Are there any of the free birds? How many people work here? Are there guards everywhere? And that's where I explained all that stuff. And I knew they would. I had them all written down here. <laughs> I know exactly who's in and out of there. Um... And again, the names I give for servants and such, like parent and such, doesn't mean that they're always alone, but they're always there. Same with um, Willem the guard. Sometimes there may be other guards if they're escorting people in or out or someone's being a little lippy or trebly, but he's the only one that's hanging in there all the time. Um, and they try to strike up some conversation. A lot of people don't pay much attention. A lot of people leer at Mercy. You know, a lot of people, because Mercy's... Very attractive young lady. She, she is. We roll for that, by the way. We roll our character. Charisma, that's the stat. You get to pick how attractive and such you are. Uh, well, based on your roles, she's pretty high charisma. She, she's an attractive lady. And the gear and clothing they give her, and again, she's not the best, highest quality stuff. It doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't show off a lot, but it's, you know, there. So she gets some leers from the other guys, and Darcy ignores it. Darsh like the Darsh just sometimes shakes his head in laughter because he's like, I just can't wait for one of you to try. Because <laughs> he's it's like a, I don't need to step in and do this. If anything, I'll I'll sit back and chuckle while she kills all of you sons of bitches. Because he knows how good of a fighter Mercy is. And you know, if there's a problem, he would always have her back. But he's like, I don't need to stand in front of her. I'm not a protector. Hell, there's more times she's protected him from things Dandy's doing. Dandy's always hitting him in the head with stuff in the middle of a fight. It happens way more often than not. Um I've mentioned it before that when you roll a one in my game, you roll a special dice that says what happens. And she is always rolling hit ally. Nine times out of ten, it's Darsh. I don't know why, but it always happens. She's always hitting Darsh with stuff. The very first adventure they were ever on, she tried to do a trick at a table with a butter dish and juggle it, failed, and got a butter dish, hit him in the head with a butter dish, and butter was rolling down his face. The butter dish became a running gag for a long time. Uh, do you still keep in touch with any of the players? No. Uh, not of these players, no. I still keep in touch with um, Scott, who was Rafe Firemoon. Uh, he's popped in the chat. He's a member as well. Um, and I still talk to Mike, one of my best friends since childhood, who got me into D&D. &D. Um, on a couple times, he's visited for a weekend or something, come down to hang out, and he'll jump in and take over an NPC or two to, to play along. Um... But there was one battle a long time ago where they were fighting some were-rats. And he was hanging out. 
and uh, an NPC had joined them for the fight. And the were-rats had them trapped in an old bedroom. And he was a, a ranger with two swords. Um, and they were stuck in... It was underground. They were like an old dwarven place. And this was just a side fight, side adventure, things that. And uh, they were... The were-rats were outside the door, and they're trying to keep the door from busting in. And so he takes this... He finds an old mattress, and he stabs it with two swords in front of him and has them light it on fire. And they pull the door open, and he just goes running out with a flaming mattress. Because, you know, in there it's just cloth full of, you know, hay and such, right? It's not like a good mattress like we have here. And he's just running down the hallway, and the were-rats are just bolting because the mattress barely fits in the hallway. It's built for doors. And he's just running down the hallway with this flaming mattress trying not to get burned. And I, it was, that was totally a him doing thing. Mike, Mike is hilarious. Love Mike to death. Oh, my God. He comes up with some of the best. Him and I'll chat about this, and anytime I write a story, he's the guy I usually bounce it off of. Uh, I'll, him and I'll chat for hours, even though he's up in Canada, we'll bounce story ideas off each other. So he knows all this and a lot of stuff no one's ever heard before. But the flaming bed thing, that became a running gag as well. There's a lot of running gags that I don't really bring out here because they're inside jokes from silly things that happened. That wouldn't be as funny me just telling them now. Um, but there were, there, were, there were a few of them. I'll point them out from time to time. The flaming bed was a good one because that was just all him. He's such a creative dude. Love Mike to death. Um, so they start chatting anyways. They're getting in there and they're chatting with people and such. Um, and overall, people are okay. Some of the people they fought, some of the houses they defeated don't really want to talk to them. But in, in, and even some of House Violet are like, people aren't being as nice to us as normal either. Um, and uh, so, uh, but they do have a couple of people that come up and talk, especially people they didn't fight against. Hey, we saw you fight. You did pretty good. At one point or another, all three of the Freebirds have a conversation. Darsh and Mercy instigate it each time. Sometimes they split up. Darsh will go talk to one. Mercy will talk to another. That was their choice. Said, How are you guys going to do this? And they said, okay, I'm going to go do this. And we're going to do this together. Or I'm going to do this and she's going to do that. Or I'm going to do that and he's going to do that. And they worked that out. So I'm going to apologize a little bit. I don't remember which one talked to which person. Because I didn't write that down. But it doesn't matter for the story in general, I can just tell you what was learned. Um, this is what they learned talking to different fighters who would talk to them. Uh, the Freebirds, who a lot of times are the source of information coming in to this place, because they, they can leave at night if they want. They can rent a room in here, and if they do, they can only leave or come in at the certain times, but they can leave or come in on any day that they want. There are specific times to enter and leave. But they're like, hey, I'm just going to pay for a room in here. Maybe they, they have a house or they've come into town specifically to fight for this on a special occasion. Not with these three, but somebody else. They're like, I'm going to uh, pay for a room, stay in here for a couple days, do my fights, go back home. Uh, Bragg says, when will be the next stream? Uh, the next stream is going to be Minecraft, and that will be tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Eastern. Starting this week, I'm going to start streaming an hour early. I'm still going to stream to the same time. I'm just going to make my streams an hour longer. So instead of three and a half hours, I'll be streaming four and a half hours starting tomorrow. Now, I do go back to work after being off for three and a half months for medical stuff. I go back to work Tuesday. So I do not think I'll be streaming Tuesday or Wednesday. I need to get back into work, get accustomed to my schedule, but I'm off Thursday, so there will be a Minecraft stream Thursday. By then, I'll have a bit better idea of what my regular stream schedule is going to work like from week to week. Um, but right now, tomorrow for sure, Thursday for sure, 99% not Tuesday and Wednesday. But hopefully, once I get back into the groove of it, I'm going to try to stream for an hour or two, even on work nights. It'll just be later in the night when I get off work. I can't remember what time I get off work. It's like 8, 8 30 or 9 30. 
or eight or nine. I can't remember. It's been so long. Uh, but tomorrow will be the next one. I thank you for asking. So some of the information that they learned from talking to different people. Um, and again, who you talk to gives you different information. Not everybody passes the same thing, right? Uh, but they did learn that um, some people are saying that the war is not going as well as being advertised. You know, the emperor and the church and the thing, like, yes, we're winning, we're defeating them back, and so on and so forth. Um, in fact, when asked about serenity, there's no news of any type of loss or even that an army was sent in a direction of that nature. So anything that's considered loss in the actual realism of, of how the battle is going, not quite as well as they're making it seem. Um, another thing that popped up is that Darsh and Mercy are very popular with the common folks, the ones that aren't affiliated, underdog kind of stuff. You know, they like to see that. Uh, even though they some people lost their favorites, lose, uh, a lot of people just like the spectacle of it. So Darsha Mercy uh, gained a, has gained a little bit of following already with the common folk. Um, one thing that they learn from someone, one of, the, one of their other guys, one of the other fighters was talking to uh, Willem and finds out that, uh, you know, because he's, he's pretty good friends with Willem, but Willem kind of slides him some info now and again because they're, and he'll kind of pay off Willem. Um, but he's like, yeah, so... As for the amount of guards that are normally in the city to protect it, more and more of those are slowly being sent out in small groups to the different fronts of the battle, and Paxawal and Thormin and all of those places, so that there's actually a lot less guards in the Empire than there normally is. But they're also trying to keep that under wraps as well, sending them out in small groups or patrols and then not coming back, so that the populace doesn't realize that there's a lot less cops, if you will, in the city. Um, it's also rumored that the Empire is looking for someone in the city. No words of what that is or who, but someone is being sought. And uh, very often you can see uh, groups of elites, which normally don't walk the streets, with priests and preachers going into buildings and such, and slums and such, and ransacking them way more than they would normally see. Um... And the one thing they learned from their own fighters is that many years ago there was some serious strife between Violet House and the Emperor. And nobody really talks about what it was, but it's, yeah, they, there's, there's some strife there. Okay. Got that. Okay. So that's some of the information that they learned. I want to make sure I covered all of that. Um, and then we're going to move forward with the story after that day kind of ends and they start moving on. Over the next few days, you fall into an easy routine. Um, let's see here. Oh, I almost forgot one of the most important things. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad I underlined it. Um, end of that day, when they return back to their rooms, a big, another luscious meal with wine is there, which everybody's excited to see, even Darsh, because even without asking, there's pie. And we all know Darsh loves pie. Uh, he goes right at the pie. Everybody else looks at it and it's like, okay, that's Darsh's pie. And he's like, what? He's got some hand off his face and Mercy just shakes her head. Everybody laughs and they eat their food. Um, but there's already a meal there. The room has been cleaned. And as normal, the guards always check the room. They didn't find any culture, whatever. So that's fine. And at the end of the day, they go back to their sleeping areas and Mercy goes into her little thing and lays on the bed, puts her hand under the pillows, and there's something there. She doesn't move. She can tell that her hand has touched some type of parchment or paper. 
It's relatively dark, but she's very careful to pull it out and try to see by the little candle she has. Darcy does love pie. I will reference that as much as I possibly can. Um, in fact, I'm going to pop this up real quick. If you'll remember, I'm painting minis of these guys. I'm doing it online. There's Darsh's. If you look down at his feet, pie. I was so happy pie was an option to give these guys when you custom design minis. Um, I also, I should throw this out there. I have a new Merged Worlds Instagram account, just called Merged Worlds, where every day I'm posting uh, a mini or uh, pictures from Merged World. I'm going to start posting some of the maps and stuff that I've talked about. The, uh, the Merged Worlds uh, Instagram is where I'm really going to start putting out regular Merged Worlds content for those people who want it without drowning the people who follow me purely for the Minecraft to see that. So if you like the Merged World stuff, highly recommend following the Merged Worlds Instagram account. There's a link for that on my website, onlydraven.com as well. Okay, but yes, there was a pie. Made for fun the first hour stream. Yeah, I've got like 32 of them now. I'm making them for every character in NPC. I have so many to show you guys as we get to them. Even characters you haven't seen yet. So now when I introduce them, I have the minis. So I'm very excited. Uh, Teresa says, loves the Wars Rules Instagram. Excellent. Then somebody offered a 3D print one. Yes, uh, James says he has a 3D printer. Drew, one of our mods. He said, uh, if I send him... Because you can buy just the file of this that you to print it yourself it's like three or five bucks instead of paying the fifty dollars to have them print it and send it to you um that if i bought one of those and sent it to him he would make it and send it to me I, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm thinking about getting uh not right away i'm poor but down the road about getting a 3d printer myself specifically to be able to make some of the minis i suck at painting them so they probably won't get painted but it'd still be cool to have them you know oh yeah midnight's right here he's saying hello again <laughs> hi midnight somebody said hello turtle did Yes, I got your belly. I know. Okay. Uh, so let me. So there's the parchment. Looking at it in the candlelight, there's a message on it, and it says, let me "Grab it again." Oh, hello, buddy. I'm sorry, I bumped your nose. Um, hang on. Let me grab the actual note here, because I didn't have the actual note written. I just had it in bullet point. It says, "Here it is." We see you. We are watching. Just get the bullet points. This is how it's listed. We see you. We are watching. Escape is a possibility. And that's it. Nothing else. No signature. Nothing else at all. Everybody's saying hi to you, Mr. Midnight. You better say hi back, you chubby boy. Um, but that's all that it sees. Now, Mercy, of course, you know, gets Darcy's attention. Everybody's getting better to sleep or somebody's playing cards or whatever. Kind of pass it to him. He looks at it and nods and then eats it. So that's not the thing you leave lying around. And Darcy don't care. He'll eat anything. Some type of papyrus, some thin paper written in a very faint ink. Um, but that's all it says. And it said, we see you. That makes them think more than one person. They, they don't get a lot of chance to talk about it because, again, they're worried that someone could be a spy. They never know. Could be spied for the Empire, could be spied for Valerian. They're not sure, so they got to be careful. You want to steal Midnight? He wouldn't go. He's too chubby. He's going to stay here right next to me. I got your belly. Now he's kicking me because he doesn't want me to grab his belly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, put it in a trash can. It's just like prison. You want to put it somewhere where someone might find it. Go through your trash. Uh, let's see. 
Then, next day. Over the next few days, you fill into, fall into an easy routine. You receive no other messages, and things continue as they had previously. Your nerd personas have garnered you quite a bit of attention. Other gladiators show you both respect and a bit of fear. Um, uh, yes. Work drives you even harder during practice, reminding you that your success will only bring harder challenges. You train more and more with your team, working on team strategies and group combat, and very often it's the two of them who are actually doing the training of the others, which I, they started a little bit, but at this point, work is letting them kind of choose some of the combat strategies. Darsh has strategies from working with them, but Mercy has her group of knights. She's got warriors working for her. She... A lot of times, has, her and her knights have to train warriors anyways. So, they're uh, very, very... She's very experienced in leading. So, oh, hello, Patches. All the kitties showing up. Is it tree time? No, it's early. Stop it. Um, Mercy is... Like, Darsh is the leader of his ship and stuff, but not so much in a military point of view. So, a lot of times, Darsh defers to Mercy, which, at first, people are a little confused. Like, why well, would you listen to her? And then she whoops their ass, and they're like, okay, yeah, we're going to listen to her. Um, so, uh, Bragg says, I feel like everyone sees your channel on help, as help on Minecraft, but actually love D&D a bit more. Like, at least 15 <laughs> Yeah, yeah, D&D is, D&D is my thing. Storytelling, even more so. That's, that's why I enjoy D&D, is it gives me an opportunity to write and share a story, and other people can participate in that story. So, kind of fun. Um, let's see. Okay, so during this time, uh, Darsh and Mercy decide that they're going to try to make friends with someone. And they do both try to pick somebody different. They try to... a couple people. So Darsh decides that he's going to try to make friends with one of the Freebirds, Kurgan the Grey, who was the most amicable to him the first time they had conversation with the three of them. And he's also going to try to make friends with Willem the Guard. You know... Slide a coin here and there, be friendly, share some of the wine he's got left over from Valerian. You know, just be friendly about it. Mercy decides she's going to try to be friends with Sarek Windrill, who's another uh, one, and one that uh, did, wasn't leering at her in, in specific. Um, talking to them, that was something that came up. She asked, is anybody leering at me inappropriately? And I'm like, yeah, this one is, this one isn't. This one. So that one actually talked to her like a fighter. And so she decided she wanted to be friends with him and then also try to make friends with Brote the Cook. Because Brote uh, has the most in and out uh, of the whole place. Because um, Brote has a house. He doesn't live in the arena per se. He can if he wants to, but he doesn't. He's actually relatively successful. And sometimes he's not there cooking. He has people working for him. But I've talked about that. Um, but Perrin they learn, is also a slave, but owned by the arena itself. He doesn't fight. He's an old guy. He just cleans up and such. So he's he can't leave the place. So they're like, okay, well, we're not going to get much out of him. So like, we'll go to the people that can leave the most. Willem the guard, uh, Brote the cook, and then two of the three. Jassel the snake was rude to them very much. I remember that when he didn't want to talk to them much, and he was a bit of a 
prick to them when they did start trying to question him. Uh, so Draven, when will you start the secondary D&D series, the Behind the Dice one? I really want to learn more about how D&D works. I'm planning on starting that in January. I was going to do it a little bit later in the spring, but I'm going to pop it right up in January. I'm just trying to get back to work and get my schedule under wraps to find out exactly where I can fit it in there. Because um, again, I don't want to take away something you guys already are watching and enjoying. I've got to fit it in as another stream. Um, and so... I've also had people ask, am I going to do that as a live thing where people can ask questions, or am I going to pre-record it? Um, originally, I was going to just do it live, um, but I thought I'm going to throw... We're going to talk about that in the Discord channel as well, see how you guys would prefer if I just like do a video of it, or if you'd rather have it be a stream. So uh, we're gonna, I'm going to you know, try to do the stuff people want to see the most. Uh, but yes, I should have it here. Uh, around the, at, the, at the at the latest with the first week of January. I may be able to put it out before Christmas. I just have to figure out exactly what my schedule is going to be so I can get it put in there. Uh, but I'd rather do it live. You know what I mean? Uh, will they be podcasts like pre-recorded or will they be live? Oh, I'd like to do them live. But I'll probably, rec- you know, just like these, they'll be live and then they'll be up for people who want to watch them later. You know, and they're not going to be anywhere as long. They're going to be like a 30-minute or hour-long thing. They're going to be shorter for sure because um, there's a little bit less of that to put out there, because it's not actually a story, it's coming kind of And hello, Terry, I see you as well. Hello. <laughs> live stream? Okay, the well, live stream is what I figured most people would want, so you can actually ask live questions. But like everything else, it'll be up on the channel for watching afterwards. All right, let's see. Vote live. All right. Everybody likes live. Well, that works for me. <laughs> so there, strike up conversation, friendship, trying to figure out what's going on, um, and seeing what's happening there. Um, and the first success they have in that over, over several days is from Willem the Guard, surprisingly. is the one they least thought it would be. Uh, but Darsh is sharing some uh, beverage that he has, uh, leftover wine from their thing, because when they come and clean up the food, the wine bottles they leave for the fires, and they're not, no one's allowed to drink on ninth day. Or no, sorry. No one's allowed to drink on eighth day or ninth day. That's the rule. You can't drink before the fight. You can't drink on the holy day until after the battles. After the battles, you can. But you can't drink before the fight on the eighth. So on. That was that was a rule from for everybody. That's not even a house rule. That's a rule from the emperor. So any alcohol in the place cannot be in the room. You caught drinking. That's serious punishments as well. Um, but it's Willem that while striking up a conversation. They're just chatting, and they've been chatting for several days, and Willem, like I said, is a big dude. Darsh is still way bigger, but Darsh is bigger than everybody. Willem's about the size of even the largest other fighters that are in here, and... Oh, God. Midnight, let a fart. Oh, You're killing me, boss. Dude, that was an audible one. Oh, Christ. Sorry. <laughs> Cat fart. Um, yeah. So, uh... Oh, great. You can bring one up here, too? You need to calm down, kitties. I do not need your stinky kitty butt. It might have been Patches. I heard one. It might have been Patches. She's the stinkiest of all of them. Ugh. It's too early for treats. And it's way too early for stinky farts. So stop that. All right. So, uh, sorry. Back to the story. Got off track there. Ugh. All right. Thank you. Oh, Midnight's standing up like he's looking weird. Was it you? Was it you? He's about to run away. I think he knows it's him. No, you guys are good. All right, so, uh, <laughs> kitties. Uh, Warwick, just chatting, says, out of nowhere, it's like, yeah. Talking about histories, he's telling about how he came here and so on and so forth. And 
came to the city uh, to be a free bird, caught, fought a couple fights and such as well. Oh, the kitties, they don't like... Midnight, I don't like to pick up. Midnight, like I said, we don't pick him up much because we think he had some abuse by previous owners. And he, we try to pick him up, he gets very scared. And so I, we don't pick up Midnight very much often at all because I don't want to make him uncomfortable like that. He gets, gets very skittish. But this is Patches. You can see her on the camera there. You can see her face a little bit. She came over to say hello. Um, but, yes, so... And in the middle of that conversation, he goes, blah, 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 this and that. And Darcy's listening, and he's also watching what other people are doing. And then here's this reference, blah, 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 you're being watched. Slid in there, and then he keeps talking. And Darsh catches that and looks at Willem, and then gets back and is looking around the room. And sure enough, uh, there's one specific person that's been watching Darsh for a while. He noticed it as well, and that is Jassel the Snake, which is uh, one of the free birds that did not like them. Or at least acted like they didn't like him. And then Willem's still chatting, going right into a story. It was slid right in there. Darsh is laughing back at a funny thing that he says, and they're going back and forth. And Darsh is replying back and uh, you know, chatting and such. Um, we got a message. And then just keeps on talking. I was just sliding it in there very quietly in between the conversation. Willem just keeps going like, uh, nothing. <laughs> he replies again. It's like, you've been noticed. We'll, they'll be in touch. And the woman's like, ah, enough with you. I've got to go check on everybody else. And ha-ha, wanders off and things. And takes a swig of Darsh's alcohol and bumbles out. And Darsh is like, aha, I've made contact with someone. Mercy was chatting with some other people, but didn't get anything explicit like that. But Darsh did. And that was after several days of building up a friendship. Uh, so we'll remember that they fought back there. Back there. Okay, so we're moving forward again. And they've had to battle a couple of times, um, and then we move on to sixth day, because the last time they fought was ninth day, that's why they had to fight. It's been six days since your last battle in the arena, I already read that. Oh, no, I didn't, okay. Um, here we go. Since your last battle in the arena, Work advised you the night before that you'd be fighting today. Uh, Lord Valerian did not visit you this time, as you were told he was busy with other house matters, and will be unable to attend today's matches. Uh, Wark is currently checking out your gear and telling you about today's meetings. Um, or today's battles, not meetings. I don't know what I said meeting. Matches is the word I was looking for. And so um, in the first match, it's going to be uh, Darsh and Mercy and Derek versus three people of Red House. Match two will be Darsh versus someone in Green House. Three, Mercy versus someone from Yellow House. Uh, and then four will be... Um, the PCs, and what was the other guy's name? Uh, I just have him listed his numbers here. Bear with me a moment. There we go. Uh, so it's going to be... Wait a minute. How did I lose that page? Oh, here it is. Sorry. Uh, Lomas and Turk are going to be the other ones, so it's going to be a four-on-four, four, that one. Um... Uh, they go through. The, the battles are pretty successful. Uh, they win pretty much everything. Um, now, in this battle, um, the way I have it mechanically, and this is a little bit of D&D stuff, I, uh, they have a little bit of time to rest between battles so they get a chance to um, get back some of their just resting hit points. Not a lot, because they're being hit with blunt weapons and such. So it's, uh, Though this one is Patches. Patches is the one that you can see her little head right here on the corner of the screen. Well, you kind of can. There she is. Um, but uh, 
because these aren't like bladed and such. This is the concept here. Um, now, today, in these battles, all battles are fought with real weapons. They say this happens occasionally when they pull things out. Uh, Valerian did pay to have you put into those, so he's aware of that, and he was perfectly fine, because that's more money if you survive a real fight. Because uh, And the crowd likes that, because there's more blood, and there's more violence, and they like that stuff. Um, as in many societies where the leaders are corrupt, um, things like arenas and gladiator fights is a way to sate the populace to keep them happy so they don't revolt or cause problems anywhere else. Midnight is now giving Patches a bath. You may see her in the corner there getting licks. I appreciate the teamwork. Thank you, guys. Now, they're also... Yes, I see you. I'm writing. Uh, so, again, he's not going to be there, but they do also hear that a proclamation is going to be made... Um, by the emperor at the end of the fight. It may not be him, it could be one of his representatives, but a proclamation is going to be made. Um, so they go out, they do their fights, they're successful, they win each fight that they're in, they don't take any serious damage, it's pretty fine. Um, oh, sorry, it was after that fight, I'm sorry, that they receive a message from someone again, Willem, who says that the Emperor will be making some type of announcement about the war on ninth day, it's the 7th day, it's the end of 6th day here, um, and that no one can figure out, no one knows what it's going to be, they haven't been able to figure anything out. So at this point, he's talking a little bit more freely. It's, there's some type of resistance or underground to the Empire, and Willem's a part of it. That's what they find out. Um, on ninth day, of course, everyone must fight. Uh, and no one knows what type of fights they're going to be done. Um, they're going to be announced the night before, which is kind of normal, but more common on a holiday. Okay, let's see. Here we go. Also, that day, while they're, while they're in the crowd and things are going on, twice Mercy sees a face in the crowd for just a moment, and it looks familiar, and then it's gone. Familiar. She can't put a name to the face. Someone she's seen before. Has popped up in the crowd a couple times. And then disappeared. Have I had cookies and cream Pop-Tart? I have not, Turtle. I don't think I've tried that one. Um, so, I want to point out that while we're going through this stuff, there was a lot of actual role-playing stuff with them talking to the guards and talking to the... Uh, other fighters, and then the battles were in between, and they had to fight for their, their lives and such in some of these fights. Um, so there's a lot of strategy and such. And I, So this part of the story, it's hard because to share because it was a lot more them doing stuff than it was me telling story. So that may sound odd. While this is going on, several weeks have passed of them doing fights. So when I say third day 69, sometimes it's a couple weeks in between them. Um, also... The one thing they find out during this time period when they're asking about how long the war has been going on, because that gives them a bit of an... They're trying to figure out how long they've been there, right? How long were they out of it? They know that the battle, the battle that came to Serenity started just a few weeks after Thorman first started its war. Um, and then it took them almost two months to get there. So the war should have been going on three months or so around the time... Uh, that they arrived at the Empire's capital city. Yes, I see you, baby. Um, 
So that's the timeline they're looking for. So when they start asking how long has the war been going on, they find out that Thorman was first attacked eight months ago. Which means they were out of it almost five months. Brownie. This, become, this comes as a very, very heavy blow to them. What's going on back home? No. They've been gone a long time. Was Serenity attacked again? Is it still standing? Any of their allies, allies hurt or dead? Did Michael and Dandy ever catch up and save Artemis? How's Thorman and Paxiwal? There's a war going on. Even though they've heard rumors it's not going well, what is that in the grand scope of things? Like they took over Thorman, but it's not going well in Paxiwal, or they couldn't take over Thorman? There's a lot of questions that people around here don't know the specifics of, because it's literally so far away, and the Empire does a very good job of keeping the specifics hushed. And that stressed them out quite a bit. They've been gone a long time. Also makes them wonder, what were they doing for that whole time? Hmm. Let's talk about that. Where was I? <laughs> Here we go. So, that ninth day... It's time for them to uh, go out and fight, right? And they're going out there, and it's time for... Whoa, midnight, buddy. You can't keep doing that. Keep wanting to sit on my back, but my book here. Can't do that. Um, as they're, they're out there, and they're being called for their fights. Um, here we go, ninth day. They're being called to their fights. Um, before they go out that day, they're told Valeran is not there again. Which is, or no, he's there. I phrase that. He's there, but he had, didn't come down to see them. But he did send something to them. New gear to wear. They pull it out, and it's more costumey than it is actual gear. Um, and in the case of one of them, overwhelmingly skimpy. And they look at work and they're like, we're supposed to wear this in fighting? This is what we're supposed to wear? And work looks at him and he's like, that's what I was sent. He's like, he's like, basically, the ch he goes, I was told you wear this or you wear nothing. Your choice. But one way or another, you're going out there. They're not happy about this at all. Um, and even their other... Warriors and such feel uncomfortable and nervous, especially for, for them. Darcy's got this weird hat he's supposed to wear. And we've already talked about nobody wears hats. This would be the first hat anybody's ever seen. He's got a weird cape on. He doesn't understand. He has this. And as they're walking out to the ring, it's their turn. There's always a barker calling out the next fights. They're used to that. As they're walking out, you hear, ladies and gentlemen. And because they, they always say, like, for, for Violet House, the Minotaur, you know, they, they, they call those type of things out. Well, they walk out here ninth day, and this place is packed. Sure enough, Emperor is sitting up there in his booth. First time they've seen him since that throne room incident months ago. As they walk out in their costumes, because for some reason their group's coming out last. 
They're sitting there and people are chatting, they're calling out houses and so on and so forth. And people are going up to fights and they're waiting for their turn. They're told they're only going to fight once today, each. Um, but it's, been, it's going to be using real weapons again. And Darsh and Mercy are called up for the next fights. And they, they're getting up ready to go. Darsh is going to go first. Mercy's is going to go second. Doesn't want the Emperor to take them. Don't want them to win. Hmm. I enjoy your conjecture. We'll see. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, entering the arena representing Violet House comes a most savage beast. Hailing from the, uh, from the distant Minotaur Seas, this evil pirate is feared by even his own countrymen. His dark visage is nothing compared to his black heart. I give you Captain Blackhorn. The crowd erupts in boos and jeers. And it takes a moment for Darsh to realize the voice was talking about him. Walking around, Darsh can see a door open and a large human walking out, wearing a green tabard. The crowd cheers loudly as he gets closer. Uh, Darsh can see he's about in his 40s. Clearly, the guy knows how to fight. You can tell with the guy walking, the guy is a trained warrior. Uh, why is the rum gone? Very much so, Jim. <laughs> Um, so there's that. And they have their fight. And so when they're fighting and they're working that out, uh, Darsh takes several hits. This was a trained fighter. Someone who was kind of more on his level. Uh, and the guy was much faster than Darsh. Uh, Darsh is using a sword and shield in this fight. Um, which is what he uses most of the time. Um, sometimes he'll use... An, a double-bladed axe in, like, the real world. Uh, and he's good at throwing javelins, but there's no javelins here. But in these fights, he's pretty much all been using sword and shield. On occasion, he may go double sword. He can do that, but he prefers sword and shield. As the battle goes on, Darsh takes some hits, but is successfully able to take the guy out. But the only way he's able to defeat him is by killing him. The guy's not giving him any choice. The guy was hardcore on, and he knows this guy's come to kill him. This guy's trained... He's coming at Darsh hardcore, and Darsh, in the fight, has no choice but to kill the guy. And the crowd first goes quiet, and then, of course, they're oh, screaming and so on and so forth. And then, uh, looking up, you see that the Emperor does not look pleased. Looking at Lord Valerian, because remember I said he is there, he also doesn't look pleased, but he's not really looking at you. He seems to be looking more up at the Emperor. Uh, hey, you're wearing the shirt like you said you would. That's right, I promised I would. After a wonderful day of never being an alien, I thought it'd be fun to wear it today. Mm -hmm. Darsh has no choice but to kill that guy. And then, it's Mercy's turn. You've seen her fight, and you've seen her kill. No one's seen her kill. That's just how they entered it. Again, this Amazonian warrior queen coming far from the east, leader of her own tribe and a warrior born, heir to her Amazonian throne. And it goes on on about that stuff. You know, slayer of men, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and if I remember correctly, I, I didn't have this one written down. It's like coming from a place where even men are enslaved. You're like, oh, to the women? They play on that sexist shit a lot. Um... 
They introduced her uh, as Lady Temptress, is what her name was, the name they gave her. Because again, she, you know, don't let her luscious form uh, throw you off. She's a danger, that you know, kind of thing. And she ends up having to fight a dude as well. She doesn't have to kill him, um, but she took a lot more damage in that fight than Darsh did because, again, she has crap armor on at this point. Uh, the best armor she's got are bracers. Um, but that's about it for, for anything of value. So she's having to fight twice as hard. And in this fight, she went ahead and she took a sword instead of her normal Morningstar when she saw the opponent had a sword as well and how hard Darsh had to fight. She's preparing herself. She managed to take the guy out by wounding him heavily, but did not have to kill him. Fortunately. Okay. Let me grab this here. Yes, okay. So again, that goes on, and we get to the end of it. And the Emperor makes... Or, sorry, a proclamation is made that the Emperor is making a new holiday. The emperor doesn't speak himself. The Barker does it. People are cheering. New holiday. That's cool. And he says that in six days, there will be a holiday. And people are like, oh, there's never been a holiday on sixth day before. It's always on ninth day. And he said on sixth day, very special. Once in a lifetime battles of the arena will be announced for the upcoming ninth day. And that no one will know what they are until the night before, the last minute. Even the betters are not happy about that, the, the, the barkers and such. But yes, I know you're here. But um, the crowd's loving it. They're eating it up. They love the mystery, the suspense, and all of that. And Darsh and Mercy were the big fights of the day. But you can see that a lot of the faces of the, in the booths of the people who own the different houses... They all look a little troubled, like they weren't, didn't know this was coming. And the Emperor is sitting up in there alone. I need to stress that. So the next few days go on as normal. There are no fights on third... Well, there are fights, but Darsh and Mercy are not put in the fights on third day. They're left out of those. Trying to get more information, they're getting very little. Even Willem and um, the Freebirds are kind of... The Freebirds aren't popping in there at all. They haven't seen any of the Freebirds in there. And even Willem is staying away from everybody. He's not talking to anybody. He's just kind of staying around the door ready to leave when he needs to. But he looks like he has things to say, but he can't say them. Uh, I wonder what's special about the Emperor being alone. Intriguing. Mm -hmm. Here we go. All right. So we roll on through days of this. Third day they watch, but they don't. it's good for the story. I only write things that are good for the story. There are more than... There's two chairs up there, but it's just the Emperor. So here we go. Um, let me grab here. So on this day, it starts out normal. Nothing really big is going on there. Um, they did... At one point, Darsh did get a thing to Willem about Tobias. Has anybody found him? Anybody know about Tobias? Remember, that's the whole reason they came here, is to try to find their lost friend. Is there anything thing of that at all? And everybody's like, Midnight, buddy, you've got to stop walking up here. He's down. Come on. Down, please. You too. Come on. Come here, buddy. This is big old Midnight. Come here, buddy. 
You gotta go down too, okay? Thank you. He just keeps running in circles on me here. Um, sorry about that. Um, so much suspense, getting excited. Excellent. Glad to hear that. And where was I? Ah, here we go. They'd asked about Tobias. No one hang, but, but Willem says he'll see what he can do. So on the sixth day, right? Here we go, sixth day. Yeah, ba, 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 ba. Haven't heard anything about Nothing new from Tobias. In the afternoon, Lord Valeris arrives, and he looks troubled. And he says that tomorrow on sixth day, when special things are going to be announced, um, that fighters will be drawn randomly by rank. And PC, the, our characters are currently ranked in the higher ranks in there. Um, and yes, we've got that there. Um, all fights will require real weapons. Uh, the Emperor's announcement will be at the end of the tournament. Um, Lord Valerian wishes you well and warns that these fights may be more challenging than normal. And he seems troubled, but he doesn't really seem like he wants to take questions. So here we go. Sixth day. You wake into a sunny morning. There's a feeling in the air of confusion and anticipation. You eat quickly and head back and get dressed. The other members of your team seem excited to see what the day will bring. For gladiators, life becomes all about the next fight. Work arrives and checks your gear. He too is dressed in your house's colors, since he will join you in the box in front of Valerian instead of waiting in the staging area. So normally, it's a staging area you sit in, kind of like a baseball thing, but there's a fancy stuff in front of the boots where you can sit for special occasions, and everybody, even even Mercy and Darsh have a, a tabard on, which Mercy covers up some stuff better, um, of the actual house color at this point. Usually they just wear a sash around, like, of their color, like a, a belt that they tie around. Uh, finally, content everyone is ready, he leads you through the hall to the staging area. Uh, Turk is given a, ba a banner dictating your house to carry. Finally, the door is open and you are led out onto the field. You are amazed by the changes. Well-made boxes have been built in front of each house lord's box. The arena itself now has several well-marked combat rings. In the center are two larger raised combat rings by about three to four feet. A large board has been raised next to a podium that stands near the Emperor's seat. This is where the matches will be randomly chosen. All the teams parade around the arena to the cheers of the crowd, something they've never had to do before. The arena is full and the cheers are deafening. Finally, you reach your box and looking up you see Lord Valerian who salutes you, which is what all the house people do to him. It's going to end off right after the announcement for a cliffhanger. Probably not today. You could see the troubled look on his face. Taking seats on the benches provided you, looking over the crowd surrounding you. There's not an empty seat in the place, and everyone is adorned in their favorite house's colors. You can't help but feel a bit of pride as you see a large amount of violet through the crowd. It's been made known that there's not, like, a lot of purple. But they, they've definitely got more popular. You sit patiently for 10 to 15 minutes before you see someone climbing the podium. Ladies and gentlemen, comes a loud voice. It, not your loud voice. No. Ladies and gentlemen, comes a loud voice. 
It appears the man on the podium is speaking, but his voice is loud and sounds like he's standing in front of you. It's clearly some form of magic. He's way over there, but it's booming. They obviously don't have loudspeakers. Today, the emperor himself uh, welcomes you all to a very special event, comes the voice. At this, the emperor rises and waves, and the crowd gives a standing ovation. You notice there's a woman sitting next to him. No one has ever said that the emperor has a wife. Once the emperor has taken his seat, the voice continues. Today's matches will be randomly chosen by bracket. Fighters will enter the ring designated. The voice goes on about a few other rules. Then he calls out the first matches in the first round. None of the house Violet are called. So, you heard the kitty? Yeah, he's squeaking. He wants too much attention. No, it's not time for treats. Stop it. Um, in the second round, Turk is called and is successful. During the third round, Derek is called. He also wins, but he was hurt pretty badly. None of Team Violet fight during the fourth round. In the fifth round, fifth, sorry, fifth round, Lomas was called. Lomas loses and was very gravely injured. He's taken off by clerics. They don't know whether he's alive or dead. Um, during the sixth and seventh, no one is called. Jin is called on the eighth bracket. Jin is probably the most talented of all of them. And he wins. None during the ninth. During the tenth, Mercy is called. Mercy, her name is called. The whole little thing again. Lady Temptress, blah, 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 blah. She's a little irritated by it, but what's she going to do? And she starts making her way towards the circle podium that she's supposed to fight on. I'm sorry, I've got an eyelash in my eye. One minute. There we go. As she, or, well, she's waiting for her turn. She's standing there. She stands up ready to be to walk in. Then the other fighter is called, and a name is called Ving of Black House. Now the crowd cheers pretty loud at this. And Wark leans in and says, Ving hasn't fought in months. He's incredibly dangerous, and he's a previous champion. Um, he fight, also explains that he fights with two swords. He's ambidextrous. Are you having some buffering? I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, I'm not seeing anything on my end. Nope. Not seeing anything on my end. I apologize. Hopefully it'll clear itself up. Um, so as Mercy start making her up there to meet Duder, uh, she can hear people screaming temptress, like ch cheering remotely. And then the other dude marching up, people are yelling for him as well, Ving. He has a very, very, especially from the fans of Black House, uh, he's known to be savage and he's a, a fan favorite. Um, Mercy enters into the fight. In this situation, she decides to go with a sword and shield again. And uh, once she's in there, uh, dude is using two scimitars, but with serrated blades. Um, and he's much better geared, armored than she is. The weapons that Valerian provided them today, though, much higher quality than they've had before. These are pretty good weapons. He knows they're going into spots. He wants them well-armed. So these aren't just the generic stuff that you find. These are high-quality gear. Weapon-wise. Armor, you can't give them plate mail. There's rules for the gladiator. You can't do that. Plus, they have a costume they have to wear. 
Um, Darcy, I'm sorry, Mercy goes in, and the fight begins. Um, he's a very good fighter, and he's very quick. And Mercy's on the defensive almost immediately. Um, so, I'm going to take a quick pause here to tell you something about an actual D&D mechanic. Give your left arm to be ambidextrous. Nice. <laughs> I, uh, there are weapon proficiencies in Dungeons & Dragons, at least it's 2nd edition. I know they're called different stuff in the later versions, but 2nd edition, weapon proficiencies, you can learn different weapons and skills. And you can get more proficient or specialized and get extra bonuses with certain weapons. And if you focus on those and you get a little bit better, you can get special attacks. Um, the way I play D&D, I take that in a different regard. If you focus on one weapon specifically, and over time, per levels, keep putting points in that one, you may not specifically gain more damage, because a weapon can only do a certain amount of damage. You may have a better chance at hitting someone, or you may be able to do specific tricks or specific attacks that aren't normal. And a lot of these things I come at when I get feedback from my players. They come to me and they're like, hey, I had an idea. Is it possible for me to do this? Is it, what would I have to do to be able to do this? And we talk about it, and we figure out if it's something we can do. So we created a proficiency called shielding. Um, and shielding is using a shield as a weapon. And if you level it up, first ability you get is shield bash, which is literally just learning how to use it to bash someone uh, in an effective way while parrying or so with your weapon. Um, you take a bit of a negative on your primary attack, but you have the ability to swing your shield as a secondary. Um, so that's the first thing that anybody who takes shielding can get if they get it to level two. When they get to level three, they can choose a couple of different things. Um, hooking is one, and hooking is using your shield to try to disarm your opponent. And then third, or sorry, then the other one is literally learning to throw your shield. You're not Captain America. You're not bouncing it off stuff. But if you're close enough, you can throw it as either A, a diversion, or B, as an attempted attack. Um, you have negatives to throw it, of course. The type of shield you have matters. If it's not a round shield or a perfectly square shield, you know, if, it's just, if it's long on one end, you can't, you're not throwing a tower shield at anybody. Well, Darsh might, but most people can't. Um, something like that. Even if you've watched something like Lord of the Rings, the Urukai at one point threw his shield that pinned Aragorn to the tree. Stuff like that. I say people want to do that, that's fine. You may have big negatives to do it. It may not be easy, and there may be some requirements you have to do that, but I don't see there isn't a reason where if it's physically possible in some way, let's figure out a way for you to attempt it. Mercy took the ability to throw shields. Something she focused on pretty early. Because she fought with a shield way more than Darsh did. Darsh had the Shield bashing, because with his strength, he does a chunk of damage if he hits you in the face with a giant shield. Um, and he has that, if you remember, he got that dragon scale shield that he had made a long time ago when they fought the dragon. They are looking for the stones. But primarily, he didn't do that. He did the bash, and then he focused more on his weapons. Mercy, Morningstar, and shields. And she could do a lot with her shield. And that's important in this fight specifically, because this is the first fight where she really, really used it to an effect. She's chucked it before and hit people or bashed people, but it's just been regular combat. In this one, she's very much on the defense. And she specifically said she was trying to work into a position 
Or charge, that's correct. Charge is in there as well. Shield, bash, and charge can be combined. Darsh has a charge ability just because he's a minotaur, where he can use his horns. He didn't use it a lot, but when he did, it was savage. You remember, Darsh has a half-broken horn, if you remember. He lost half a horn long ago in the Underdark. Long time ago. The mini I made of him, there's no way to do that, so he has them both. But he's missing half a horn. So he's got one, yeah. So, there's that. Uh, at one point, he got a helm made that had... Then we put it on, it slid over, gave him the rest of a horn. He didn't wear it very often, but he, he had one made because he wanted to see what it looked like. He had like a metal horn. It was kind of cool. Um, didn't give him any real bonuses. It was just there. But in the fight, the key moment is when, can, it grow, can you not regrow a horn? No, the horns will not grow. I mean, even if it grows a bit, it's still going to be a stump. It's not going to come back to the full point. It's kind of like with animals, unfortunately, in our world with poachers. They cut off a horn and it just stays a stump forever. Rhinos are a good example of that. Elephants, you can cut the stump off. They may grow little bits, but they're never going to go quite back to what they were. So it's quite common to find a minotaur with a chipped or broken, or even they may cut them off themselves, make them jagged, do lots of stuff like that. Um, but it takes a very long time for that to get back to anything resemblance. And it may grow weird. It may never grow quite like the regular one. At least based on the D&D stuff, anyways. If you use the, the stuff in the books. But in the fight, when Mercy was literally, she at one point stated, I want to go more on a defensive and purposely not make as many attacks. She was focusing more on parrying and blocking um, in the attempt of making him feel like she was being overwhelmed. She let me know what, what she wanted to do. Um, and then, sure enough, at one point, um, she gets a little bit of space, and he comes charging in. He's got his weapons low, because he kept doing this low cross-attack thing. And when he did that, she whips her shield and snags him in the throat. And she rolled really well. Not a natural 20. But she gets him square in the throat. She rolled well. I said, if you roll here, you hit him here. If you roll between these numbers, you hit him here. So on and so forth. Um, and she rolled... Uh, 20 would have been better. She rolled like a 19. It was like right next to it. But she hits him right in the throat. And of course he drops his weapon and falls to his knees, choking and such. Gasping, because, you know, did, didn't kill him, but it, it, it affects him. And she just walks up and thunks him on the top of the head with the pummel of her sword, bomb of the sword, and he's unconscious. And that's how she won. But it was the first time she'd thrown the shield. Um, and it's one thing she'd been hanging on to, because she never knew when she was going to need it. And she, once you give that away, people will be watching for it. So she was trying to not use that. But in this situation, she decided it was worth it. So she did. So she wins. Darsh is the last fight of the day. I want to point out that in this, Darsh did a little bit more of the work. In this, Darsh was a little bit more primary than Mercy. And I say that was kind of designed that way because when we normally played D&D, Mercy and Artemis were the two that got role-played the most. Darsh and Mercy had some role-playing, of course, and they had characters and they had depth and all their stuff, but they were a lot more used in the combat stuff. When I'm walking up to talk to somebody, I'm, this is them, usually going to be Artemis or Mercy. That's who did the talking. So I put this in a situation where Darsh could be a little bit more in the forefront because I wanted him to have a little bit more growth as a character at this point. So that's why you'll see a lot of times Darsh is the last one fighting or his battle was a little bit harder. It was, A, because physically he can handle a harder fight and B, because I wanted him to be viewed in that way. So that way, uh, the only playing him had to put him into some different positions than she normally had. Usually the stealth stuff was not Darsh. That's where Mercy would get sent in, if anybody. 
Um, and Darsh had to do the sneaky talk to people, and that was it. Is Darsh an NPC? No, Darsh was a character. Um, Darsh and Artemis were played by one person, and Dandy and Mercy were played by another. So, Mercy was one girl's favorite character, and Artemis was the other girl's favorite character. They also loved Darsh and Dandy, for sure. But those two are the ones that played most. That's why in Serenity, they're living together. And Dandy went off to do her thing, and Darsh went off to do his thing in their side of the world. Because they always played them that way. Me, I always looked at Darsh being a little bit more of a primary character. Um, but his was more of a solo story, because he goes off, and he has things. So that's how you can have so many characters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can, have, you can play multiple characters. That's where I ran into the issue in the very beginning of the game. I had four players that I each let them roll two characters. That's why at the beginning there were eight heroes and why I had to split them up to go looking for the artifact weapons in different directions. You remember we had Fig, Shadow, Zarin, and Willow. Fig and Zarin were played by the, by the same dude and Shadow and Willow were played by the same girl. But at one point that group kind of disbanded. Those two left... And the other two, we took a, we came back a year later to play again, and that's why their four characters are the ones that came back alive, and all the other ones became NPCs. We all know what happened to Zarin, our, uh, Willow, Shadow, and then we know where Fig is. All of those became NPCs when that group disbanded. So just a little history there on the characters. But yeah, you can play multiple characters if your DM allow it. Um, I don't mind if you show that you can play. Um, if you're new to the game, I normally will have you play just one until I know you can handle it, but yeah. Alright. Darsh's fight. He gets up there. I mean, he's about to go up there. When they call out, and they do his whole black horn thing. And the other name called is Mordok of Black House. So again, another Black House. For the record, Black House is represented is a house that represents the the, uh, the temple, the priests. I probably should have said that earlier, but it does. The crowd once the name of Mordok of Black House is called, the crowd hushes for just a moment, and then just explodes in cheers and applause. Warwick tells Darsh that Mordok is a retired champion, the longest ever champion that's ever been in the in there, and he retired a couple years ago. He's a half-ogre that uses a huge cleaver-like sword. Big guy. The Emperor? The Emperor's not going to waste his time on these guys. Wouldn't lower himself to fight these peons. Plus, he'd probably win. <laughs> he would definitely win. At this point in the story, he would destroy them. So, Darsh has to fight this giant... Well, not giant. Giant to everybody else, but to him, still smaller. But he had to fight this uh, half-ogre, which makes him almost Darsh height. Ogres are taller than Darsh by a little bit. This guy's just a little bit less than Darsh. But this guy walks in, and he's got a two-handed sword that would be a two-handed sword even for Darsh. Um, oh, Black House represents the Emperor. Yeah, Black House represents the Church. And the Emperor is the head of the Church. You're 100% you're correct. So the Black House is the, the, the Church itself, because the Emperor is the head priest. Of all of them. He's, the, he's an emperor priest. So, yes. You are correct. Yes. You are correct. I just didn't say it in a way that made it explain that way. <laughs> My bad. Um, but yes. So Darsh is fighting this dude with a huge sword. And again, it's got a long handle. It's almost a, uh, like a Final Fantasy VII kind of. It's like a big, thick, cleaver-like blade. Um, and he comes out. In this situation, Darsh decides to go with two long swords. 
Um, was it two broadswords? No, he uses broadswords. I'm sorry. He's using two broadswords. Again, if he had a minotaur-sized broadsword, he wouldn't be two, but these are human-sized. And he knows that the shields that they provide are not going to do much to defend against that giant cleaver. So he picks two really fancy, good uh, broadswords um, of the weapons that Valeran has provided them for this fight. Because if they are to fight with real weapons, it is the responsibility of the house owner to provide those. Wooden weapons are provided by the by the, the arena. Um, this battle didn't last long. Really. I was blown away. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. I was disappointed in this battle a little bit. Darsh went into the fight. And immediately was attacked. Other guy got initiative, charged forward. Darsh took a cut across the chest. Pretty deep one, to be honest. And then managed to parry the next attack. And then Darsh rolls. And rolls a natural 20. From a D&D standpoint, a player rolling a natural 20 is always a disappointment. And, Turtle, you are correct. He rolled beheaded. Beheading is one of the options on the critical hit dice. And straight up, scissors his head clean off. Like, it was like, he, the guy swinging took a hit, then he came in again, and Darcy just stepped in under the thing, and was like, and the, just the head goes off the dais, and I'm like, and it just rolls towards the barker, the guy up on the pedestal, and he sees it roll to the bottom. And then he looks up. But straight up, Darsh rolled it on his first attack. He rolls a natural 20 and beheads this dude. I was, I'm like, okay. When we're doing boss fights in D&D, &D, uh, the critical hit dice and the critical fumble dice, one side doesn't count. One is death. He didn't roll behead, he rolled death. Um, which this, I let it be beheading because that's how I rolled it. But if you're fighting a dragon, you're not normally going to roll death. You know what I mean? If you have a stick and you're fighting an iron golem, you can hurt it with an extra 20. You, I'll make you re-roll to do double damage or triple damage. At the same time, in some situations, if you're fighting and you're using melee combat, you don't have a weapon, and you roll drop weapon, I'll make you re-roll. You've got no weapon. You know what I mean? I To make it fair. You know, I want it to be somewhat. But, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, you rolled death but you can't kill them, so you wasted your roll. I'll let you re-roll till you get one that counts. You still did a really go good roll. You should be able to use it for something. Uh, sever limb is usually the default one at that point. So it's like, okay, you maybe cut its hand off, but you didn't kill it. Even dragon can lose a finger, I guess. <laughs> oh, you're strong. Can I have your head? Um, but no, what Darsh did do is bend over, pick up that big-ass sword, plop it on his shoulder, and then go walking back to his booth while the crowd went crazy. He's like, my trophy. And he went back and he stuck it in the ground and then sat down in the chair next to it. Um, and that's what the character was. It was a very cool scene. I really enjoyed that. I want you to know that the Emperor was not looking happy at this moment. After a few moments, the Emperor is introduced by the Barker. 
because oh, fights like we've never seen. The victory is blah blah blah. And then you know, there's a minute or two of cheering, people cheering and things like that. Then he finally goes up and he says, you know, the, he introduces the emperor. As the emperor rises, the arena erupts in cheers once again. The emperor smiles at his people and after a few moments raises his hand. The crowd fades to silence, excited to hear their leader speak. I guess he doesn't do it that often. The emperor's voice is magically carried to everyone in the arena. It is confident and powerful, but it sends chills down your spine. The characters. My loyal Oromanians. Today has been a great day. I would like to thank all of today's fighters for such astounding performances. Again, the crowd erupts for a few moments before the emperor continues. This is a great time for our nation. We stand at the door to our destinies. The goddess is with us, and with her blessing we shall destroy the forces of evil that attempt to steal our way of life. We have repelled the enemies that dared to cross our borders and harm our families. And I am here to tell you we are winning. Even now our forces march closer to the vile city of Paxawal. We shall tear down their walls and teach them that Oramon will not stand for their treachery. But first, my people, I have the pleasure of showing you the beginning of the end. Our enemies have allied against us, but one by one they are starting to fall. And today you shall see the first of them. You hear large doors crack open. There's some big doors. There's some fights that they had to fight like lions and such. You know, classic stuff. That's where the animals come out. Uh, yeah. Your doors crack and start to open. Um, the large doors beneath the Emperor's podium open slowly, and all eyes stare at the dark void within, wondering who or what is inside. Four men appear, backing out slowly. Each is pulling a chain, though with obvious difficulty. <clears throat> Everyone is silent in, is sitting, standing in silent anticipation, hearing the heavy footsteps. Finally, the beast steps into the light, and the crowd gasps. Your hearts fall, and Darsh sees with rage. I give you Krone Orksplitter, Emperor of Kronear, and leader of the Minotaur Nation says the Emperor, with a wicked smile. Giving you guys a second to catch up. Anybody remember him? Uh, Draven, you should do a member's gladiator ring where we make PCs at whatever level you set with d rules we fight it out. I could do that. That'd be funny. We could totally do that. I'll make everybody design their own figure. They were not expecting that. I caught that by surprise. And as we know, Kronark Splitter is an ally to Darsh, the one who made deals with him. He's a friend, if you will. Darsh tries to step what works, like, no, 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 dude, calm down. Kron is just staring at Darsh from across the arena with just pure hatred and anger in his face. The crowd is just going crazy. Again, the Emperor quiets the crowd. In honor of this great victory, 
I have decided this fallen king will fight in ninth day's match. When he will have to face... Oh, let me see. Uh, yeah, matches. When we will have him face this week's new champion. I find it fitting that this once great leader should fight he who was his downfall. Darsh, the captain of the Blackhorn. Anybody get that reference? Let me give it a second. You don't know him. Early on in the adventure, Darsh went to the kingdom of Kronear, which is south of where they are. And that is a the uh, Minotaur kingdom, where there were several different islands that all appeared together um, of different things. And Kron uh, was the emperor of that area. And Darsh was allies with humans and other races, and Kron was wanting to become allies as well, but there was a lot of people in the Minotaur Kingdom who thought they should instead just attack. So what he did is he's using Darsh as a mediator, because he's friends with the humans and such, and he basically granted Darsh the first level of nobility. Um, one of the evil Minotaurs challenged it. He had to, Darsh and his allies had to fight in an arena, was victorious. Kron named him a noble of his kingdom, giving him rights of all other Minotaurs and basically making him a, a minor hero of the people. So he's, and then giving him the ability to trade because Darsh owns ships and his own islands and Darsh is building a merchant fleet. That's what he's always wanted to do because he comes from a family of merchants. And so Kron is an ally and the king of, of his people, technically. And how he got captured in his here. And now he wants him to, I mean, look, the other thing is there was a group of assassins and people and uh, evil people, minotaurs, that were trying to take out the emperor. It was even rumored they'd killed him at one point or tried to poison him. And they were known as the Blackhorn. I've mentioned it many times throughout the adventure. I've been very careful to make sure that I say it very clearly for this exact moment. Because they started naming him Captain Blackhorn here. And I was wondering if anybody would catch on to that. And now, they, he, what Emperor just said in front of Crone is Darsh, the captain of the Blackhorn. The characters, the people who played Darsh and Mercy, immediately realized what happened. They had, the Blackhorn, again, was a, was a group of underground assassins and evil minotaurs that were trying to undo the minotaur kingdom and the emperor. So what they've just did is tell the emperor, here's Darsh, captain of the Blackhorn. Up to this point, he's been Captain Blackhorn. Throwing in those extra couple words won't mean anything to the crowd. But to the emperor who's been captured and undone by a group of evil minotaurs known as the Blackhorn has now been, again, the words he said was, he who was his downfall, Darsh, the captain of the Blackhorn. And you can bet he's probably been fed more things than that before this, and we'll hear more about how Darsh is the one that turned him over in this and that. So, Kron sees Darsh as a traitor, and the whole reason he's here. I've been planning that for a while. Is his name spelled Darsh? Um, it's D-A-R-S-H. 
Like, I didn't name any of these characters. The Darsh was named by the people who played them. Uh, and Mercy is like the word Mercy. Artemis is standard. And Dandy, which is short for Dandelion, is D-A-N-D-Y. So yes, I... He gave Darsh nobility. He gave him rank. Gave him the ability to go through a seas to open up merchants here. Considered him a friend to help him against the evils. And now he's basically being told, no, Darsh has been the head of your enemy the whole time. And he's why you're now enslaved in this kingdom really, really far away. Again, Cron looks enraged, like he's ready to rip Darsh apart. And as a special treat, the Emperor continues, I have arranged for Lady Temptress to face a special challenger as well. A secret, if you will, until the battle. These two battles will occur at the same time. So it will be easier. Oh, so it will be the greatest spectacle to ever grace our arena. A true battle of champions. And the crowd erupts in fanatical cheers. <laughs> thanks, thanks in French. <laughs> now they look up at, uh, you know, Darsh is pissed as well, but he's trying not to look angry. Because if he looks angry, that might be read even worse from the Minotaur Emperor. Uh, let's see, quick question on a whole different topic. What do the colored lenses do from the laser thing? The different colored lenses will increase uh, the chance of specific ores being generated by the laser drill. So if you put a blue one in, you have a higher chance of getting a certain type of ore versus a red one, which would give you a different one. I apologize, I don't have them memorized which one is which. Sorry about that. Uh, but yes, that's what they're for. That's why there are two podiums now. That is why there are two podiums now. That is correct. Oh, you're very welcome, Phantom. Uh, Valerian also looks pretty pissed. And they get taken back to their cells. Now, I'm going to run just a few minutes long tonight because that's not where I want to end. Um, but yes, uh, Diamond and Redstone... I'm not sure. It, it does pull Diamond and Redstone in the, in the Void as well. So yes, the Laser Drill would pull those as well. I normally don't use the lens. I just throw them in there and let them run and I usually get everything I need eventually. But you can use the lens for that. Everybody's cheering. Everybody's blah, 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 clapping. And everyone is taken back to their specific areas. And Mercy and Darsh and the other people don't understand what's going on. They're like, you betrayed what? Who? You're fighting another Minotaur? What's going on? And Darsh at that point is furious. And Mercy has to explain a bit. It's like, he's an ally of ours. We didn't betray him. He's being fed lies and stuff. Uh, so that he'll want to probably kill Darsh. Because they figured out pretty easy what happened there. They, they've dealt with the Blackhorn for a while. Darsh specifically. Because uh, remember, he, one of the first things he did in Thorman was to help stop the assassin that was uh, trying to kill the Emperor's daughter, if you'll remember. So, Lord Valerian, very, very soon, as soon as possible, is now makes his way down in there as well. He comes to him and said he did not know this was going to happen. He was told nothing about it until literally right as it was happening. And then as it ended, uh, someone from the em uh, emperor showed up and told him that he has no choice in this matter. This is going to happen, but that he shouldn't worry. He'll be fully compensated for any loss. And Valerian's pretty pissed. He kicks a table over something. Everybody's like, ooh, we've not seen Valerian pissed before. You can understand, Darsh and Mercy's going to make him a way more money alive than they're going to make him dead. You can imagine that. Compensation from the emperor, probably not going to match the amount of money he's been making. He says that he has made arrangements for Mercy and Darsh 
to come to his home this evening. It is not uncommon for a champion or someone to gain ability to go to an to a home of whatever to be wined, dine, given lovers or whatever the case may be. You know, help bribe them to loyalty and so on, show them that reward uh, to all the other fighters. There's good rewards for doing well. Um, but in order to do so, he had to uh, agree to a um, escort from the emperor himself because he doesn't want them just disappearing, of course. And the, the emperor's guards, not the emperor, but the emperor's people, elites. He's like, he goes, someone will be here to get you in about 30 minutes, wagon. He goes, you'll, you'll come. And he looks at me, he goes, speak to no one until you, until you meet me there. And he looks very upset. So he's coming to the, the house that evening for dinner. Um, again, he says, you have a major escort, so say nothing to anyone, because they'll use any excuse to put you down. Even though they want this big spectacle, they obviously want you dead. And an escape attempt would be a perfect example to say, well, now we got to make someone else kill the other Minotaur. But well, these guys are out of our hands. They'll be shackled heavily. And after they, they have a chance to clean up and stuff. That 30 minutes they got to wash down. You know, they've been fighting and probably blood and such. Bandage up some things. They will be taken to a covered wagon and they are escorted to Violet House. And there are at least 20 elites escorting this wagon. There's no escape here. And when they arrive, they go through the, they don't, they don't see this part, but they go through the gates. The gates close behind them. Once they're in there, even the emperor is not going to send his guards in there. You don't walk into the other house unless you have proof that they did something wrong. Because the emperor, at that point, if you're really turning on a house that bad, the other houses may join up with them. And the emperor versus all the houses, that's going to be a little bit harder. Because the houses have a lot of power as well. So that's a thing. They get inside and they get out and they see that it's pretty nice inside. Uh, nice place. So there's not a lot of people here. Again, they've been told that the Violet House is probably one of the poorest of the houses. And it's linked to that maybe part of some of the history between the Emperor and Violet House in the past. But they're taken inside and they're, they're taken to the door. Uh, Lord Valerian is there and will have them unshackled. As he did. That's what I have here. Um, then he warns them again. Say nothing to anyone. There's no one else in the room but he says that. Until I tell you. He turns and he goes walking to a door, opens it up, and ushers them through. They step into what is easily a private study. Fire going in the fireplace, books all over the walls, nice comfy chairs, maybe a deer head or something like that. You know, stuff you'd expect in a nice study, a desk. And the room is not empty. The first persons they see is Quan. Now, Quan is in, still looks like the guy Quan was turned into, right? His spell hasn't been dispelled. So Quan still looks like a regular Oromanian soldier, Oromanian person. The doors close behind them, and Quan, and, and, and Valerian says, we don't have a lot of time. And he points direction, and another person kind of comes out of the corner with a robe. She pulls it back, and it's the young woman that was sitting next to the emperor up in the stands. She goes, we must move quickly. You need to trust me. I need you to both to lay down on the floor. And they're like, I, and Quan's like, 
you have to do this quickly. Don't say anything. Lay down on the floor. Mercy and Darius look at each other, but it's Quan. They know it's Quan. Secret handshake, whatever. So they lie down, and this woman begins casting a spell. Um, let me see here. And they don't know what's going on. And then suddenly, their memory comes back. And they remember five months of pain. And it's so shocking, they pass out. They wake up several hours later in the same room. Doesn't look like anybody's moved. They're told that, they were told it's been several hours. But they're explained to them that while they were being tortured for months, they were also being expelled, And that the uh, Lomar, which is the evil head cleric next to him, had a spell cast on them where he can see or hear through them at different times. Uh, why can you? Because there's an advancement for it. You have to put a boat on it and get inside, and that's an advancement. It's Sky Factory 4 thing to answer a question that popped in there. Lord Valerian introduces Tiara, his sister, first wife of the Emperor. Let's explain what happened here, because this is probably a bit confusing for some of you. The anger between the houses is that years ago, because the emperor is like in his 40s at this point, late teens, early 20s, when the emperor was coming to power, one of the first things he did, converting the country over to the worship of Pandora, was to, of course, try to run wizards out. And the head of Violet House, their father, was a wizard. Um, Tierra being a female, was, of course, never allowed to learn magic. But their father wasn't a jerk like that, and she had an aptitude for it where Valerian didn't. So Valerian was kind of raised to be that new head of the household, which, as the eldest son, he would take over. He's the only son. And her father trained her in the ways of magic and such. But the emperor, at some point, got an eye for her and decided that he wanted her as his wife, which the wizard swore would not happen. And the wizard, their father, ended up being assassinated. Murdered, poisoned, something along those lines. I don't remember. I've written down. Uh, but uh, at which point the emperor decreed that he, with the death of, the sad death by whatever means it was of their father, the son would definitely take over. And as a healing of the two houses, he would take her as his first wife. Understand he has several. But Rank means things. First wife is specifically that. Gotta go. See you tomorrow. All right, Turtle. Catch you later, man. Have a good night, bro. Um, she can't cast magic. She can't cast spells. Remember, they can sense that stuff. Except for in this room. Her father's study, which she knew was the one place that he used to train her because it was defensed against that. It's very inspelled to... Uh, keep any type of scrying from happening. What she did was dispel the spell that Lomar had cast on her, allowing the Emperor and them to occasionally see or hear, either see through their eyes or hear through their ears, uh, so that they cannot be used in that way anymore. Valerian is head of the Resistance, and has been for a very long time. Well, 
he's one of the resistance. His sister's the head of it. And she very quickly, once realized that Darsh and um, Mercy were here, realized that first that Gimber's going to put him to death. She has to basically be and just an evil piece of shit 99% of the time to stay in his favor. Uh, talked about how, how more demeaning it would be to enslave someone like that, which he loved. Thought that was a great idea. And he's like, yeah, I'll make him one of my slaves. He goes, really? You want to make him one of yours? I don't think he's worth you. But I guess if that's what you think. And he's, he's a very smart dude. But, you know, in the bedroom, he, he falls away. Um, and he goes, yes, you're correct. I'll put them out there and have them killed. And they won't last long anyways, and so on and so forth. Then they end up becoming a bigger and bigger thorn in his side because they kept winning and getting more popular. And, of course, they're making money and fame for the house he hates the most. But he has yet to have a reason to completely destroy. Uh, because every house has their purpose. Again, specific parts of the economy come from specific areas. Um, even Violet. So... Basically, what's happened is, through all this, Tiara, knowing what's going on, so on and so forth, um, Valerian then searching and putting out messages to try to find uh, anyone else that was here. They didn't know if there was, but they looked. And Quan at one point had discovered the resistance, and message got to him, and they ended up kind of getting together. And they've been helping keep Quan hidden this whole time, which is who they've been looking for. They know there's an ally out there, but they don't know how many, who, or where, what they look like. Um, yes, okay. So, basically, at this point, they're like, there's nothing we can do to free you. There's too many guards out there. They would know we do that. I'm here because, as it, my brother, visiting my brother is common. There's a whole set of guards out there defending me as well that don't aren't allowed on the property. But, uh, I'm also, uh, you know, allowed a little bit of more freedom than the average person is because of my standing. Uh, but make no mistake, I am no f more or less a slave than you are. Yeah. But I need help with something very, very important. And it's something that I believe you two can do for me, or you three technically can do for me. For a long time, we've been building up the underground, we've been building up things against the emperor with the emperor's majority of his army out of the city. We've been feeding the truth about what's been going on out there, getting it out there. There's never been a time as good as right now to try to stage some type of revolt or thing of that nature. Um, the people are somewhat placated by the arena, but things haven't been well. Higher taxes to fund the army, people being... Uh, what do you call it? Uh, where, the, where the military just comes and takes you. Uh, drafted. There we go. People being drafted that, you know, unexpected. More and more people being sent to the front and things. Uh, the population is at a boiling point where they're quite upset. And with the anger and hatred of the arena and everybody being excited, um, we believe that could be... Why are people with power such poopy heads? That's just the way people are. Poopy heads. I agree. <laughs> Good term. But he says that this may be the best chance we have to start something. Um, you clearly want to get out of here and back to your people. We can help you get free of the city. From that point, we're not going to have much more help for you. But we can help you get free of the city and, once you're, and get you supplies, horses, and such. 
But when you get there, once you get to these things, there will be someone there I need you to escort. You have to get them out of here. Far, far away from the Emperor. And like, well, who is it? It doesn't matter. You have, to, you have to promise me that you'll do this. In return, I can tell you that your friend is still alive and enslaved in the bottom of the temple. I believe we can get him out as well. I don't know his name, but he's a wizard. And I believe he's the reason you're here. And like, Tobias is alive? They're like, kinda. I mean, they keep him alive, but he's in a rough state. I believe that I, can, I have people who can get him out of there, but I guarantee you there will be loss of life on our side to do so. And if we do it, it'll have to be during this thingamabob where everybody's going crazy. I can get him and the supplies you need for you to try to get out of here and get you out of the, out of the kingdom. But you have to escort the person I bring you as well. No matter what, you've got to keep them alive and get them out of Oramon. And they're like, sure. I mean, they're like, clearly whoever this is is in danger. Understandable. You're trying to protect somebody. You have the help we need. How is this going to work? And they're like, you're going to fight. You're going to be prepared to fight the two, whoever it is. You're going to be fighting the Emperor King. I didn't know about that, she says. That's a, that's a surprise that even came to me. Um, so we'll have to work on that. But uh, you guys, when the fight is about to begin, when you're up there, armed... And he's going to get you the best armor and weapons he can get you for that. That'll be the best chance we have. We will have people throughout the crowd, hidden in different locations, where they will basically rise up and start the crowd and so on. And this, they have ways they're going to do it. And they explained it. There's going to be calling out, you know, you've been slave for too long. All the type of riot thing. They're going to be riding the people up all the day leading up to it as well. You know, they've got people out there in those positions. And they're going to do that. And they're going to try to spark that revolution type kind of thing. Before the fight starts, so you don't have to fight them. If you can get your Emperor Minotaur out of here, awesome. That's fine. I'll have a horse there for him and you if you can get him out. I'm fine with helping you that best I can, as long as you get my person out of here. And they're like, okay, that'll work. Quan says, I'm going to go around and help set up some of these things, find the best route out of here. Thank you, Haley Martin, for the sub. I appreciate that. Thank you for coming by. Um, but he says, we'll have this. He goes, I'm going to be prepared. I'll be the runner. I'll be the one that shows up there to help get you out. Okay. And then we're going to we're gonna book it out of here. I'll have all the supplies. That basically, I'll lead you out of there. They're going to show me how to get you out of there through the fight. We may have to fight our way out, but it's the best chance we're going to have. And in no way can we guarantee, they say, that you're, this is going to be successful. This is hinging upon a couple of things. One, that we can get the people to rise. And she goes, we've been working on this a long time. I believe we can. And the second thing is that you guys can manage to fight your way out of there. She goes, but having seen you fight today, I think that you've got a better shot than anyone else we've ever had. Darsh and Mercy are like, you know, they want to get out of here. They want to try to save their people. Uh, Tobias especially. If they can get Tobias and he's alive, that's the whole reason they're here. They can do that, then that's what they're going to do. So they accept the terms. They're like, yeah, sure. Because these are people who, turns out Valerian bought them. He's been building them up to this for the purpose of seeing whether or not they could survive long enough for this exact plan. He doesn't have any hatred against them, but he's trying to free his homeland as well. He's like, if that meant sacrificing them, you know, what you got to do? He's got to protect his sister, uh, who he loves and adores. She's his older sister, and so on and so forth. 
Her name is Tiara, I forgot to say. Tiara. Mm -hmm. So that's all going to happen in three days on ninth day. It's very careful that, or we got to be very careful. It's very likely spies may be watching and listening and so on and so forth. You can't talk about any of this. The only in between will be your friend Quan, who we will have made arrangements to get to uh, Willem, who can pass information to you. Willem's one of ours. So is Brote the Cook, and so is Perrin. We've got all three of them in there. And so is your one friend, the uh, Kurgan, the, the, the Freebird. He's also one of ours. We've, we've had him in. We've had them all back in there as soon as we found out you were going in. So we've had them ready to go. We've got people in places that are going to help. And we are hopefully going to pull this off and get you and your friends free. And then you and Tobias and maybe your emperor and my person will leave Armin as quickly as possible. Darsh and Mercy accept and they go on to discuss the finer details of their plan. And that's where we'll call it for today. So, again, I want to reference that this part of the story was a lot more of them role-playing and is a little bit questioning people and finding out informations and things that it's hard to give all that here. So we kind of bounced over some of that. So this story may seem a bit more rushed than the dandy Artemis story. Um, I can assure you it wasn't when we played it, but in the, in the after telling, it's always felt to me like it felt a bit more rushed um, when I've told this part of the story. So hopefully it's still enjoyable. Hopefully there were still some surprises in there, some cool moments that you thought was interesting. Hoping. <laughs> but... One way or another, the next Merged Worlds episode will be the end of this section of the story. What size is your book with the story in it? All right. Get away. Go, 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 go. This was the first binder. This is the second book. I have five more of these and one more binder. This, I'm, I read that, and I started on this, where we, the final battle for, um, with Draven and Daedalus. And, uh, that's not counting the other several books worth in my head that we never got to play that I'm going to just tell as a story when we get to the end of it. Because that's my, that's always been my goal. When I get to the end of this, instead of playing it out... I'm going to continue reading or telling the story, but writing it as it would have been told. So in that regard, it'll come across as a story, I think, a little bit better. Because now I'll be writing specifically for you guys, right? The story will be written in a... Instead of saying you, I'll be like, Darshan Mercy, blah, blah, blah. It'll be written a bit more from the it's coming at you section. Um, which I think is going to be a lot, a lot of fun as well. Uh, because I have ungodly amounts pre-written in my head for that, that I've just recently started putting on paper. I will tell you that I write D&D &D or come up with my ideas very much while listening to music. I get down. I have cats. I have a playlist that I used when writing a lot of the stuff, specific songs that uh, helped me come up with certain points of the story. Uh, mate, if this was condensed into an actual novel, it would be amazing. I'd like to one day Maybe a Kickstarter if it ever gets big. 
You can hire somebody to help me write it. Uh, well, I don't want to do that. I would want to write it myself, but I would want to make sure that I have time. Well, again, if I can ever get to doing this full time, that would give me the ability to start trying to put it in novel form. I'd like that. But that's, again, a bridge we'll try to cross if we can ever get to it. Um, but yeah, story-wise, I have so much more story that was always designed to go after this that we never, ever got to play that I'm excited instead of playing it, I get to just present it to you as a story. Because uh, I think some of that's going to come across better that way. So instead of the, well, in this situation, they did this, this, I can literally have, I can write it for you guys from a storyteller point of view. So I think that some of the things like the fights and such will be a little bit better detailed because instead of he rolled a 20, he rolled a 5. He rolled, I can write specific, and this person swung the sword and blocked this while kicked him into this and did this. I, it, it'll just flow a little bit better because I'll be writing it to read it to you guys. So I'm excited about that. Um, but yes, uh, it'll be two weeks until the next Merge Worlds episode because this upcoming Sunday uh, is the members-only stream. We have those every four weeks. Uh, so we'll be doing some things with the members, uh, probably some Jackbox. In fact, I should have the Christmas Quiplash written for you guys. So we'll have some special Christmas holiday-themed winter-themed quiplash prompts that will allow you to make fun of Draven a lot because I like to give you those. Uh, but that that should be a lot of fun. Um, again, tomorrow we are going to do... <laughs> Siri, that's true. Yeah, it would definitely be more than a book. It would be... The whole Rafe and Nylat stuff at the beginning would be a book. <laughs> but, uh... All right, so tomorrow is... Uh, Sky Factory 4 at 6 p.m. Again, I'm starting an hour early from this point on. 6 p.m. Eastern, running till about 10.30, as normal, 10 or 10.30. Uh, we'll be doing Sky Factory 4. There won't be another stream till Thursday, because I go back to work Tuesday. Um, and then Sunday morning, we will do two more mod packs. Next week, we'll continue the test drive series. And then Sunday night is the members-only stream. So if you're a member, uh, that's the one time a month. It's one of the perks that you get to... We get to hang out just stuff. It's not a public stream. It doesn't go for me. It's just for us. It never gets posted on the site. It's just kind of one of the big perks of the people who are involved in the membership program. And I do appreciate that. Uh, membership program is always available. If somebody's interested in joining it, uh, just click the join button anywhere on my channel. It'll give you all the information and you can decide whether you'd like to do that. Uh, but the, the member stream once a month is the, the one time I get to hang out with just the members doing a little something special for them because they participate in that. So I really do appreciate all of you who are in that program. Definitely helps support the channel and gets me one step closer to doing this full time. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. But with that being said, I'm going to call this a day. Um, I look forward to seeing you all again tomorrow for some Sky Factory 4. Um, and that should be fun. Oh, quick question. Yes, Mr. Elemental Dad. What do you got? When is the next vote for my pet change? Haven't discussed it yet. I haven't really had that many people ask, um, but I haven't seen many people playing it. So um, that would be a good thing to bring up in the uh, member section of the Discord channel. See what how people feel about that. I know some people like Turtle have been working on building an escape room in there for us to do. So I would definitely want to give him a chance to finish it so we can try it out. He's been working on it for a couple months now. Um, but if I... I definitely I'll save the world so everybody can have it to play themselves, but the downside is is if he builds it, it's not going to help if nobody can get in there. <laughs> but yeah, that'd be something if you guys want to uh, chat about it in there. Um, we can start talking about what you guys would like to change it to. 
I'm all about that. We can make some options. I have no problem at all. All right. All right, kids. Well, I'm going to call this a day. Thank you again so much for coming by. I appreciate all of you hanging out and letting me tell my story. It's my favorite thing I get to do. I know I always say that. If you have enjoyed yourself, be sure to click like. Most importantly, subscribe. Make sure you join our Discord channel. You can find the link for that on my website, onlydraven.com, along with links to all the Merge World episodes. It's also available as an audio podcast on both iTunes and Spotify. There's a link to the new Merge World's Instagram on that page on my website as well. Um, what else? Uh, I will update my streaming schedule at the end of this week. It still shows November, so I'm waiting until I get back to work and seeing what my my uh, what my schedule is. The Quiplash thing is going to be next Sunday, but it's a members-only stream, Brash. It's a, I do a members-only stream once a month. Um, yeah, it's just a, yeah, just a, a, a special thing that we do once a once a month for the members. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think we are good. If you have any other questions, hit me up on the Discord channel. I'm always there. An extra special thank you. Oh, forgot what you do for actual job. I work at a call center for a national cell phone company in the uh, get yelled at department. Escalations and retention of customers. So I will go back to being yelled at 10 hours straight, four days a week. So I'm really trying to make this work so I can do this full time. <laughs> but all right. You guys have yourself a great night and I will chat with you on the Discord. And in two weeks, we will see you again for some more Merch Worlds. Have a great day.